Hey there, everybody. Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Well, it's October, and of course, you know what comes with October, right? Spooky movies. I'm, I'm including thrillers in that category. Um, this is a movie I've definitely wanted to review for quite a while, and I have such a history with this movie. You have no idea, but you're going to find out just what a history I have with this film. That film is none other than 1993's The Good Son, starring yours truly, not me, <laughs> Macaulay Culkin of Home Alone fame, Elijah Wood of, I guess you could say definitely the Lord of the Rings fame. We have a couple other Culkins in this movie, too. We have Macaulay's young sister, Quinn Culkin, who plays the um, Macaulay Culkin's character, Henry's little sister, Connie. We also have not a speaking role, but it's just a picture of a character named Richard, who is just a toddler in a picture, but that is none other than the... Probably the youngest Culkin, Rory. And there's no mistaking that, I mean, you can tell Rory Culkin is the spitting image of Macaulay only as a brunette instead of a blonde. We also have, like I said, Elijah Wood from The Lord of the Rings. But both Macaulay and Elijah Wood were the it boys of the 90s especially the early 90s. Macaulay came to fame in Home Alone, Home Alone 2. Before that, he was discovered in the movie Uncle Buck, which led to his big breakout role in Home Alone. After that, he also did Richie Rich, Getting Even with Dad. Richie Rich would have been the last movie in 1994 that Macaulay would have starred in before he decided to retire from acting. Of course, we can't forget My Girl. Oh, if you guys love My Girl as much as me, check out my part one and part two review of My Girl, which I would have done back in June of this year. Let's see, what else? I know he's done, he's done other things since then. He also, I never saw the Nutcracker movie, but he was also in that movie. And getting even with Dad is okay. It's really not the greatest. <laughs> but Macaulay has a mullet in that movie. Some of Elijah Wood's um, movies, Radio Flyer from 92, Forever Young, also in 1992. We have Adventures of Huck Finn, which I definitely want to cover on this podcast because that movie holds a special place in my heart as well. It's got an amazing soundtrack. That actually came out the same year as The Good Son. Um, North. He played North in the movie North in 1994. I did see that in the theater, and that movie gets so much flack. It just, people don't like it. The War, which I did cover towards the end of August of this year. He stars in that with Kevin Costner, and I do have uh, part one and part two review 
up on this podcast if you want to check out that. Um, Flipper. You guys could say I had a crush on Elijah Wood once it got to be about 1996 when he was in Flipper. He played Sandy Ricks. I wouldn't mind covering that eventually on the podcast, too. Um, The Ice Storm. He had a small role in that um, aside. uh, Christina Ricci of Casper fame and now and then. He was also in Deep Impact. The Faculty, which unfortunately I'm not really going to be able to get to this October, but maybe next year. Um, after that, definitely 2001, Lord of the Rings. Faculty was in 98, same with Deep Impact. Ice Storm was in 97. And then it's pretty much a lot of Lord of the Rings. He did do voice work for the character Mumble in Happy Feet in 2006, which I thought was good, but when I saw it at the theater, I kind of thought it's like, I thought they were doing original songs. So when I heard them doing a cover uh, of a song, I'm like, I know that song. Like, it took me out of the movie. (laughs) But I haven't seen anything of Elijah Woods as of late, as of recently. You have Wendy Crewson, who was in the Santa Claus movies. David Morse, who was in The Green Mile from 1999. He was also in an- another thriller, which would have been Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf in, I believe, 2006, 2007. David, Daniel, <clears throat> excuse me, Daniel Hugh Kelly, of course, is no stranger to horror movies, as he was in 1983's Cujo. He also was on the short-lived ABC drama Second Noah, which I watched. I watched for the twins. Well, mainly one of the twins, but um, that was a good show. That also showcased James Marsden as well before he started getting, uh, you know, his roles in movies and stuff like that. This movie was directed by Joseph Rubin. Directed movies like The Stepfather, True Believer, Sleeping with the Enemy, which was in 91, and then The Good Son in 1993. Money Trained in 1995, The Forgotten in 2004. There was a movie called Return to Paradise, which was in 1998. Blindsided in 2013, which is not the Sandra Bullock movie. Alright, let's get into some trivia here for this movie. Richard and Connie are played by Macaulay Culkin's real-life brother. Rory Culkin and Sister Quinn Culkin. Jesse Bradford was originally slated to play Henry. Macaulay Culkin's father wanted his son to star, saying he would pull Macaulay out of Home Alone 2 Lost in New York if he wasn't cast in this movie. Fox agreed due to Macaulay's bankability. The original director, Michael Lehman, was replaced due to clashes with Macaulay Culkin's father. The film was not released theatrically in the UK because of the James Bulger case. It was released on video in 1995 with an 18 certificate, so most likely 18 or older. The scene in which Henry deliberately drops a mannequin over an overpass was edited because the BBFC feared that children would try to imitate the stunt. The 2002 DVD was passed uncut with an 18 certificate. Henry wears two different colored shoes, one black Nike and one white. I am definitely going to have to keep my eyeballs open for that. I kind of wonder if it's, like, meaning, like, black being evil and then white being, like, good and innocent or something. I'm not sure. In 1988, Michael 
Klesik, I'm sure I mispronounced that name, was cast as Henry Evans. The film was soon after put on hold due to a lack of funding. A few years later, the original child actors had grown too old for their roles. And Jesse Bradford was cast as Henry. You guys would know Jesse Bradford from the Bring It On movie in 1998. Also, he was in the movie Swim Fan, which I eventually would love to cover for the podcast. I like to do that one combined with the movie Fear also. I think that would be cool. The project was shelved again and again, and the actors outgrew their characters. The project was recast again and finally shot and released in 1993. The cigarette that Mark and Henry smoke was an empty tube filled with dried parsley and lettuce leaves. Really? Wow, because it looked like a real cigarette to me. (laughs) One Halloween, some pranksters near Detroit imitated the scene in which Henry and Mark threw a dummy off an overpass. A pregnant woman swerved on the road to avoid hitting what she thought was a person and died. Oh my gosh! So not only did they kill this lady, they killed her unborn child. They killed two people. The movie is partly inspired by the bad seed. The sight on Henry's crossbow is a hood ornament from a Buick Riviera. Despite the fact that Macaulay Culkin taunts and threatens Elijah Wood for most of the movie, he and Elijah Wood became very close friends during production and remain such to the present day. Mary Steenburgen was originally cast as Susan, but dropped out when the movie was delayed. The name Henry actually means ruler of the home. This is very fitting for the film's antagonist, as Henry is very controlling and manipulative of his family. Two actors in this film appear in Stephen King-adapted films. Daniel Hugh Kelly appeared in Cujo in 1983. David Morris appeared in The Langoliers and The Green Mile. Langoliers was 95, Green Mile 1999. Warning! Spoilers! Both Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood were trained by stunt coordinator Jack Gill and rehearsed for six weeks prior to shooting of the climactic scene so that they could be comfortable and act while hanging from a cliff 180 feet above water. When Henry and when Henry was dropped by his mother, spoiler alert, but then again, guys, this movie came out in 93. It's been 26 years. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what to tell you. A shot of Culkin himself and not a stunt double was falling away from the camera on the actual cliff was required. After discussions with Culkin and his parents, he agreed to do a 30-foot fall on a cable on the actual cliff, 180 feet above the freezing lake. But he wanted one thing in return for this act of bravery, a BB gun. Culkin performed the cable fall perfectly and was given his BB gun. The fight on the cliff between Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood at the end of the film was filmed on a cliff called Palisade Head in Silver Bay, Minnesota, overlooking Lake Superior. In the story, it was supposed to be the Atlantic Ocean, but a suitable rock face overlook could not be found. And after numerous weekend scouts all over the country, Silver Bay, Minnesota was chosen. For the angles looking down at the water, numerous powerboats were used to churn up the water right before the cameras were rolled to simulate ocean waves. The cliff was 180 feet above the water, but the top 10 feet of the cliff was manufactured. It was created on top of the actual cliff out of wood and plaster and coated with a rubber material so that the actors could roll around on it and fight as needed. 
The stunt riggers were hidden inside the fake cliff, controlling safety cables connected to the actors when they were hanging off the side of the cliff, and then Macaulay's character is dropped. This is the second film in which Macaulay Culkin's character dies. The first was My Girl. Henry does not actually kill anyone on screen. Macaulay Culkin's brother Rory was in the movie, but was only in a picture playing Henry's deceased brother. If you watch the movie, the picture is on the piano, which Mark accidentally knocks off when he's spooked by Aunt, Aunt Susan. This is the only film where Macaulay Culkin plays a villain. The composer for this movie is Elmer Bernstein. You may know of him. Um, he composed To Kill a Mockingbird. Such a beautiful soundtrack. So, so great. Here's some goofs. In the Highway Rex scene, several of the car windows blow out before they are actually hit. I remember that, the times I've seen the movie. The dog on the bridge barks, but the sound doesn't match its mouth. Yeah, definitely. The jacket Mark wears when locked in the study is not the same one he wears when he emerges on the porch. A scene explaining this was deleted. Oh, I would have liked to see that scene. I wonder if there's any deleted scenes on YouTube. I might go check. When Henry is kicking Mark at the table, Mark's right hand moves between shots. The same shot of a Chevrolet Capri sliding into a blue car, and then a Ford LTD into those is twice, used twice in the freeway wreck scene from different angles. Final shot of the freeway wreck has all of the vehicles in positions that are completely different to how they ended up in close-ups of the crashes. In the first wide shot of the freeway wreck, the Ford pickup with the trailer rear-ends the first car, then follows it sideways off the road. In the close-up of the station wagon hitting the trailer, the first car is gone, and then the pickup is back on the road before sliding off again. Throughout the entire film, Henry's haircut changes multiple times. Mark's grip on Henry's mother's arm at the end. What about it? What about it? It just says, Mark's grip on Henry's mother's arm at the end. Okay? What, does it change? What happens? The bed shown in Richard's room at the beginning of the movie, seen by Marcus, not the same bed or bedspread shown later in the movie when the mother and father are in Richard's room. Maybe she changes the bedding. That would be my guess. A long view of the Evans home in Maine reveals that there are no nearby cliffs like the one where Susan went to meditate and where the final scene took place. When Henry and Mark are climbing the tree at the start of the film, a crew member can be seen dressed in all black, helping Mark onto the platform. I am going to definitely look for that. After Henry talks with Dr. Davenport, he and Mark talk in the treehouse, and when Mark is sliding down the fire hose, he stops to listen. Don't you mean the fire pole? A fire hose is something you use to put out a fire. A fire pole is something you slide down. He stops to listen to Henry's threat, and you can see Mark's safety line under his hand next to the fire hose. I will look for that also. When they first fired the crossbow at the cat and the bolt hits the tree, there is an obvious wire that the bolt traveled on sticking out the head of the bolt. When the power switched off in the house for the hide-and-seek game, the digital alarm clock is still on. When Henry pushes Susan off the ridge, the cable by which she slides down and which she hangs on is clearly visible. After a leashless dog chases the kids on the bridge, it is shown barking behind a closed gate. For a brief moment, a leash can be seen, which reveals that the dog is tied up. 
I'll be a stunt double of Henry in the long shot of the fall from the cliff. Culkin seems taller and has a slightly different haircut. Device visible on the windshield of a car above rearview mirror to help it shatter when the vehicle crashes into the overturned camper during the blah, 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 blah. I don't care about the wrecks anymore. Here's some taglines. Oh, God. Evil has many faces. That is the one that's also on the book, which I'm going to read snippets from here and there, like scenes that weren't in the movie, but are in the book. And there is a scene at the very end of the book that wasn't in the movie that um, <clears throat> might give you a little resolution-ish, kind of. Because the movie begins just, or the movie ends just as it begins with Mark on that uh, cliff in Arizona. Alright, so here are the taglines. Evil has many faces. That is one they use the most on the movie cover, on the book cover. In a quiet town, in a comfortable home, in a perfect body, evil can be as close as someone you love. That is such a long tagline. That sounds like something that was put into the trailer. Visiting the relatives isn't always a treat. And then the others are like in Spanish and German and Hungarian. I can't read those, sorry. So this movie released September 24th, 1993. Oh my gosh, that was a month to the day after my 11th birth, after I turned 11. All right. Let's see here. Uh, budget was 17 million. Opening weekend was 12 million five hundred and twenty three hundred and five. Grossed 44 million seven eighty nine thousand seven eighty nine. Worldwide gross 60 million six hundred and thirteen. So they definitely made quite a bit. Granted, I didn't help contribute to that because I was 11, so I didn't get to see the movie. I am not the only kid that probably wanted 11-year-old preteen that wanted to see this movie when it come out had come out. Um, my history with this book, with the movie, is the fact that, like I said, me like any other kid, when that movie came out, we'd seen Home Alone, we'd seen My Girl, like, great. Ooh, Macaulay Culkin being a bad kid. I want to see this. What? I'm not 17. Well, I guess I can't see it then, can I? And it wasn't so much, of course, I didn't see it in the theater. Um, I actually, at school, you remember the Scholastic Book Orders and stuff like that? They had, I got a lot of movie tie-in books. And The Good Son just happened to be one of them. And, um... I read that book so much that the cover, just the pages were starting to, like, fall out of it. And the cover was, like, barely hanging on. Um, but when the movie came out on VHS, my dad, like, immediately put his foot down. Like, you are not watching that until you're 17. So every time I went to the video store for, like, six years, I'd hold the movie up. And he's like, put it back. You're not getting that. So, finally, one night, my dad is set to, like, have people over to play cards. And I'm old, and I'm 17, finally. I think I was 16, to be honest. He's like, whatever, just, I guess you can get it. <laughs> but he kept it up for a long, long time. So, all right, without further ado, let's jump right into this movie. I'm excited. I haven't watched this since... Probably last October. I usually save these types of movies for October. So right away, the movie opens up with a nice, soft 
melody. It doesn't, it's not sinister. It's more, it's kind of like sad. I guess a mixture of maybe sad and semi-heartfelt, I guess is the only way I can really describe it. Let me uh, play a smidge for you. I mean, I love Elmer's, you know, uh, score and To Kill a Mockingbird is amazing. And I just, I like this score is just really, it's really, really nice. It just, it almost kind of sounds like innocent. I mean, if you went into this movie knowing nothing about it, like, you didn't, like, say the movie came in, like, one of those hard plastic cases where there's no movie poster, you've never even heard of the movie at all, and you just, The Good Son, that sounds like a heartfelt drama. And you hear this scoring the beginning of the movie. You're like, oh yeah, it sounds like maybe a son who has to make a sacrifice or he gives something up of himself for his parent or something like that. No, you would definitely be deceived by <laughs> this movie. I mean, they don't uh, hide the fact with the bad seed. They come out right away and say this this child is a bad seed. I've never seen the bad seed, but uh, I know it's got a girl in it. There are so many movies that have killer kid, killer children, killer kids in them. One that just came out, I think it was back in February of this year, called The Prodigy. We have, of course, one of the most famous, The Omen with Damien, who turns out to be the son of Satan. Children of the Corn by Stephen King. Guys, trust me, this is going to be fast. Firestarter, who is just a sweet, innocent girl. She just accidentally sets things on fire. Also by Stephen King. There's something creepy called The Children that came out in 1980, some low-budget film. Okay, so The Bad Seed came out in 56. Good Son is also on this list. Village of the Damned, that's one. Orphan, which, uh, there's a big twist there. I'm just, if you don't want to be spoiled, you haven't seen the movie, skip ahead 15 seconds. Turns out she's not a child. She's like 30 plus years old and she's like, has some type of deformity that makes her look young. There's also The Ring, the girl from the Ring movie. Godsend from 2004, which is a good movie, has Robert De Niro, Greg Kinnear, and Rebecca Romaine. Um, that is about a couple whose child died, and Robert De Niro plays a doctor. They want their son back, so they're able, the doctor's able to get some, like, cells or DNA from their son's dead body, and they take and implant them inside of Rebecca Romaine through some in vitro fetalization thing, and she winds up with 
her son, births a baby, looks just like her son, only there is uh, something wrong with him. <laughs> Brian Bonsall of Blank Check and Family Ties was in the movie Mikey, where this kid plays a uh, evil child who kills people. He gets sent to foster homes and he kills his foster parents and the kids that they have in their home, stuff like that, but... It's just, this is a trend that's been going on for a long, long, long time. This is a gorgeous shot. I want to see if they filmed in Arizona. Well, let's see. They filmed in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Nevada, Valley of Fire State Park, Nevada. This is, okay, opening scene. And also the opening scene is used in the end to kind of bookend the movie. I figured it had to be somewhere that had, like, um... You know, the, the clay and the, the rock and the desert-looking area. So, we meet not the good son, but this boy is a good son, as in he's actually good. His name is Mark. He is the main character of the movie to start out with. Mark Evans, played by Elijah Wood. And he's just staring off into the distance, just contemplating things. His life, the turn of events that have happened. This is such a beautiful scene. It's like the sun is setting and you have the mountainous rocks as a backdrop in the desert. It's just all beautiful. Red rock. Very, very beautiful. I've never been there in person, but that is a beautiful scene. So the scene moves from Nevada to a soccer field where Mark is playing soccer. Mark is 12 years old and he sees, he finally, he scores a goal. He sees his dad coming with his windbreaker jacket in his hand and he's just got this look like, oh boy, this is not good. And then we move on to the hallway of a hospital and we see a woman lying in a hospital bed. It turns out this is Mark's mother. She's slowly dying of cancer. And his father is asked to, like, stay outside with the doctor. And the doctor just tells him, look, it's not good. It's good that you brought your son here to kind of, you know, say goodbye and everything. The doctor says her condition is getting worse. She's not getting better. He's given her something for the pain, so she's kind of sleeping it off. We do see a picture of Mark when he's like maybe two or three and his mother, she looks a lot healthier. She's got color in her skin. Her hair is nice and beautifully vibrant. And here she just, her color is just really, really pale. She looks very sickly. Her hair looks dull. <laughs> Mark did not have the time to wipe that dirt off his face from playing soccer. Like, this is the last image your mother's going to have of you, Mark. You really could have wiped your face. So, I noticed there is a little, like, Christmas tree sitting on the little bedside table by the hospital bed. I'm like, okay, so this is going to be around Christmas because Henry, or Henry, <laughs> Mark ends up going to stay with his brother, his brother, his dad's brother's family in Maine because it's no easy way to say it guys Mark's mom does not make it we go from this scene where 
he says, you're not going to die, okay? I'm not going to let you. And boom, we cut to the funeral where she's been cremated and they're kind of tossing out handfuls of, of dust and everything like that. They're basically having a funeral, like, kind of in the desert. Maybe that's what she wanted. Oh, before she dies, she does say, Mark, I will be with you always. Remember that. And they tell each other that they love each other. Oh. And Mark is like, you're not going to die, Mom, okay? I'm not going to let you. It's like, buddy, you really don't have control over that. She is, like, really wiped out from the pain medication that she's on because she keeps kind of coming in and out of consciousness. It's like, she wants to hold on for her son and get the words out, but it's just her body is not letting her. We just, we cut to Mark's sad face. It's like, no, no, I, I promised her. I promised her I wouldn't let her die. They're standing on, like, a steep hill in a desert while the pastor is just, she clearly wanted to be cremated. There is no casket whatsoever, so. Now we cut to the house where we do get Mark's father and his and his father, you know, his uncle, just kind of talking about there is a deal in um, China that Mark's dad has to take care of. And he really does not want to leave Mark alone. It's like his mother just died. I really, I don't want him to be left alone right now. And, of course, Mark's dad tells, you know, his, his brother that it's like, look. Or, um, I don't want to leave my son alone. And Uncle Wallace, because that's uh, Uncle Wallace's, Uncle Wallace says, looks, it's Christmas vacation. Mark's got a, week, a couple weeks off of school. Bring him out here. You do what you need to do in China or Japan. And you guys are going to be set. You won't have to work ever again. You, you are set. He is set for life. Anywhere he wants to go to college, anywhere you guys want to live, you want to travel the world, you'll be able to do that with this opportunity. So take that opportunity. Don't let it go. He will be fine. He's going to have a great time. You know, Henry and my, you know, daughter Connie, they're all going to have a fun time together. It's going to be great. So... Instead of flying out to Maine, what Mark's dad decides to do is just to drive him out there and just, you know, have a father-son bonding time to kind of talk about, you know, their grief and what Mark is feeling and everything. And, of course, he's, like, trying to get Mark's attention, and Mark is just looking at his Game Boy, which, how can you really even see that screen when you're... Sky's overcast. They're driving a Jeep with no cover on it. Now, I like the score that they got playing underneath them driving. We really only see them driving through the desert. And this upbeat tempo, it's just like, hey, we're on a journey and everything. Mark's not really responding to any of his dad's questions. So he's like trying to get him to talk and open up. Finally, he pulls over to the side and says, look, Mark, your mom is gone, okay? And Mark says, Dad, no, she's coming back. Maybe not how she was when she died, but one way or another, she's going to come back to me. And his father's like, son, son, no, no, she's not going to do that. 
And he gets out of the car, jumps out of the car, and just starts running across the desert land. Finally, he stops and realizes, like, where am I going? Maybe he just needed to, like, get out and just run for a minute and just, like, he can escape his feelings or something. I know, guys, I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm rushing through this movie. I'm, I'm really not. It's just trying to get to where everything really starts. Which is, they're on a ferry, they're going, they're almost to Maine. They're driving down the snow-covered roads. I don't want to see snow just yet, because it's only early October. So they pull up into the driveway, and Mark is just, like, hanging on that door handle. Like, he is, like, ready to butt. Oh, they finally put the, well, they probably had no choice. They had to put the cover on the Jeep. Because you're in Maine, and it's, like, the first week in January. Or, it's, no, it's probably gonna be at least, like, a week after Christmas or so. So, before we meet officially Uncle Wallace, little Connie, and Henry and Susan, I want to read a smidge here about right after the funeral and everything like that. Just then kind of getting back into the swing of things. He had no clean socks. Mark squatted down and peeked into his dresser drawer, hoping there might be one last clean pair stuck in a rear corner. But there weren't any. He strained up and scanned his room. The wicker hamper in the corner was overflowing with dirty clothes. His desk was covered with papers, magazines, and computer disks. Oh, God. The shade on his window hung crookedly and his bed was unmade. It hadn't always been this way. He went downstairs to the kitchen. The dishes from the previous night were still in the sink. A hanging philodendron in the kitchen window appeared to be shriveling from lack of water. Mark watered it and never... Mark watered it and looked around. The kitchen looked dingy. It had never looked like that before. He pulled open the refrigerator. Immediately, a sour odor wafted into his nose. The milk. Holding his nose, he took the milk container out and went over the sink. He ran the water, then emptied the container. The milk came out in lumps. Alright, we've got enough in the bank and accounts due to carry the payroll of another three weeks. That's his father basically talking on the portable phone. Alright. So this is some serious stuff that is going on that we don't know about in the movie. As he's talking on the phone, well, I don't know what we'll do after that. Yes, I know Japan's ready to sign, but I can't go there now. No, you're right. Jim can't do it. It has to be me. Look, either way, they'll wait or they won't. Sure, sure. Hey, you happen to know a good bankruptcy lawyer? Sure, talk to you later. His father hung up and rubbed his face with his hands. He had dark rings under his eyes. Mark sometimes woke up in the middle of the night and heard him banging around, unable to sleep. Mark's father asks, sleep all right? Mark nods. How about you? Jack Evans smirked. All things considered, I'm lucky I got any sleep at all. So Mark, of course, asks his dad, like, hey, is something wrong at work? And his dad says, well, what's wrong at work is that I'm not there. Mark frowned and asked, or he said, but you go every day. And his father's like, you're right. I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. I go there, but I'm not there. Know what I mean? And Mark replies, yeah. I'm like that at school, only the school doesn't need a bankruptcy lawyer. Jack Evans smiled at his son, neither do I, yet. Oh, that's not good, guys. 
I can see why he needs this deal because it sounds like things are not. And I can imagine if his wife had cancer, there was probably a lot of medical bills that he's still probably paying on. Funeral costs, all that stuff. So, all right. So, basically... The Evans men here are trying to pick up the pieces and try to get things back to normal. Uh, his father opens the fridge. Turns out that uh, the milk was spoiled. Mark said he, he took care of it. And his father looks into the refrigerator and says, Not much to eat, is there? So Mark offers, like, if you give me some money, maybe I can stop on the way home from school and buy stuff. So Jack says, I appreciate the offer, as he closes the refrigerator. Tell you what, grab your books and we'll hit drive through at Mickey D's. Oh, wow. Mickey D's. Sweet. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I thought this was, um... I thought this was after she had passed away. Um, no, this actually happens right just before. Like, the day of. They're just, you know doing what they can to make sure things are going all right and normal in the Evans house only two yep she's gone like oh so Mark steps out of the vehicle and he's this house is like humongous it's like three or four stories what at least three if not four Uncle Wallace comes down he's got Connie riding piggyback like yay you're here you made it and Mark's father says, oh man, what a haul. Eleven states in three days. And I have the subtitles on, so. Oh, she sounds like a Culkin. She sounds like a Culkin. With no real inflection or real emotion to the voice. It's just really, really, really. Nothing, I mean, I'm not, I, I like Macaulay, don't get me wrong. I do, but there's just, his delivery is really flat here more emotion in Home Alone. Let's just say that. So, right away, Connie takes control of the situation, grabs Mark by the hand, and yanks him up those stairs. Like, come on! Mom said I could show you the house! And, of course, as she's dragging him up the steps to the house, Uncle Wallace says, oh, don't fight her. She always gets her way. So now we're inside the house. We do see Susan. She's Tall, with short brown hair, and the way that she looks at Mark, like, she literally, they have not seen each other in, like, ten years. It's been a long time. She's like, oh my gosh, look at you! She takes his face in her hands and then just holds him, embraces him, like, uh, and he's probably a little nervous. Like, he hasn't seen her in over a decade, so it's a little different. Plus, you know, his, his mom just died, so he's probably not used to... Well, I bet anything the relatives just came and just hugged him and pinched his cheeks like, oh, you poor boy. Oh, you po you poor boy. It'll be okay. We learn Mark's mother's name is Janice. <laughs> then we hear a scream from Connie. The camera turns around and Mark turns around. We see dangling from the staircase railing is Henry in one of those white spooky paper mache masks. Wallace is like, Henry, get down here. Stop acting all weird with your your creepy mask. <laughs> That's not how we greet guests in this house. 
And as Henry comes down, he's got a mask in his hand because he's going to give one to Mark. Like, hey, I made one for you. We can be brothers now. And Susan, of course, makes offhand a comment like, oh, well, as if one wasn't enough. They just stare at each other, and it's really creepy. These masks literally look like they were made from the bottom of egg cartons. Like paper mache egg carton popcorn ceiling type material. I think about it, they do kind of look like popcorn ceiling-ish a little. So while Susan is getting dinner set up, headed to the table, she mentions to Jack, Mark's dad, that Alice Davenport, I spoke with her, she's a psychiatrist, she'd be more than happy to see Mark, you know, to help him work out his feelings with his mom's death and everything. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, that would be really good, because he hasn't really been able to open up to me at all. Like, yeah, that's what I want to do on my winter break is talk to a psychologist about what's going on in my life. I really wouldn't want that. You're supposed to be having fun. There's no fun in talking to someone about your feelings unless you want to talk to someone about your feelings. <laughs> well, this family's got money and they also live in Maine, so it makes sense. Of course, they're going to have a lobster for dinner. And the only lobster I like to eat is the lobster bites from Red Lobster, or not Red Lobster, no, uh, Long John Silvers. Um, I've had some lobster on, like, um, their baked potatoes at Red Lobster, and it's just, I don't know why. And I think it's just either an acquired taste or either you like it or you don't. And I'm in the I don't really category. For whatever reason, it just tastes like kind of bland a little bit. So Wallace is kind of letting Jack know what's been going on since the last time they've been there. They tore down an old lighthouse. We cut to... Henry and Mark, we were sitting side by side. The camera goes below the kitchen table to the legs as we see Henry kick Mark right in the shin, right in the leg. <laughs> and of course, Mark is eating something at the minute that Henry, like, kicks him in the leg under the table. And he's like, oh, what the fuck? Granted, of course, Mark's like, oh, you want to play that fucking game? Okay. <laughs> And, of course, Henry, like, doubles over. It's like, I bet Henry's thinking in the back of his mind, like, oh, you are going to pay for that one later. You are so going to pay for that later. It's almost like their version of sizing each other up. So the adults are talking about this damn lighthouse, and Jack's like, oh, isn't that where you two first, uh, like, had sex or something on one of your dates? And, of course... Connie, the little girl, is like, first what? What did you and daddy do, mommy? Like, you don't need to know, honey. We we ate lobster in the car. So, Susan, basically, it's where your father and I, um, we had our first picnic. And then we had sex in the car, in the back seat. And then that's how Henry came along. <laughs> I thought she was going to play it safe and say something like, oh, that's where your father proposed to me. But no, it's like they had a quote-unquote picnic. Yeah, right. So Henry and Mark seem to be getting along all right. They both kind of laugh it off the whole, <laughs> let me kick you in the, sh in the knee, let me kick you in the knee under the table. And <laughs> so you think it's like, no, 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 no. Mm, no. Of course... 
Henry being a uh, relative of Maine, like, oh, no, 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 Mark, you're not doing it right with the lobster. There's a special way. We have these mallets here, these little wooden mallets that basically do all the work. Connie, of course, is just ripping out that lobster meat and just sucking it down. Like, dang, girl. I bet they have lobster at least once a week, if not once a month. They got a <laughs> one of these um, nutcracker, you know, uh, the thing that splits like the walnuts, that men metal like thing that you like stick a walnut in between and like crack it and stuff like that. So that's what he's using to crack this lobster claw. This is so much fucking work, man. We went to Red Lobster years ago and it might have been our first time going and Jeremy got these king crab things and of course they give you like not a mallet but they give you something so you're if I gotta work to eat my meal then I'm not gonna enjoy it like I shouldn't have to work and pull apart pieces and strands out of a lobster claw or a crab claw to be able to eat it piece by piece no thank you I mean, to the lobster enthusiasts out there, more power to you. You like what you like, and you know how to work the mallet and the, uh, the nutcracker, what have you. <laughs> yeah, apparently that nutcracker thing ain't gonna, that, uh, crack in that claw ain't gonna work. So, here, let me use my fist. <laughs> and the adults are kind of watching the, uh, exchange between Henry and Mark, like, oh, they're gonna get along fine. They'll be good. I mean, they're right around the same age, so. And they're cousins. They're family. They haven't seen each other in, like, ten years, but they're family. I mean, th they're laughing, so that's evidence that they're at least getting along. So, Jack heads out, because he's probably got a plane to catch. Because he's not going to drive all the way to Japan. And he says, don't worry, Mark, I'll be back in a couple weeks. All you got to do is have fun with, fun with Henry and Connie, and things are going to be great. Gross! Snow! Well, his dad says two weeks could be less. Oh, snow and cold and egg. So Mark is bunking down in Henry's room, and we get a shot of the water before we actually go into Henry's room, but there's this nice picturesque window right behind the headboard. And you hear... Henry, I don't know whether he's actually playing with somebody or he's using his imagination and he's pretending like he's in a war, throwing grenades and stuff like that. He's saying, saying stuff like, take the wall, charge, stuff like that. Grenade. He's got a fake gun. The weather here changes like the tides of the water. Or whatever, because one minute it's co too cold. It's so cold you gotta wear like a, a heavy jacket. Now Henry's running around with like a jean jacket. Maybe that's not a denim jacket, but it's like make up your mind. Either well, he's probably wearing a denim jacket over like a hoodie or something like that. <laughs> like it seems like it would change like from like. 30 degrees all the way up to like 45 degrees within a day's time. Like the temperature fluctuates from a winter jacket to a spring jacket to a hoodie to a t-shirt. At least that's how it here is here in Michigan. <laughs>
I had, this morning I woke up, it was like 51 degrees outside. I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, it's early October, but my goodness. And just a week ago, we had like 70 degree weather, and now it's like, oh, it got cold fast. I went out today in a hoodie and a hat, and I was not the only one walking around out there wearing a hat and a hoodie or a heavy coat. So, Mark's all dressed, ready to head down the stairs. He notices that there is a bedroom door hanging open that has, it looks like a young child's room, a young boy's room, in fact, because it's got a sailboat on the wall above the headboard of this little toddler bed. And I'm just like, if you're not going in there, then why is the door? I bet those doors, that house is like old and and dra- kind of drafty and maybe sometimes like the door frames are warped or and, and doors just open. I mean, those are old looking doors and door handles. So Mark's already like zip out the door, but Susan catches him like, no, 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 honey, you haven't had your breakfast yet. And she feeds him like pancakes and she's just asking like, how was your first night? Henry didn't keep you up talking all night. Like, oh no, no, it's fine. It's fine. So he, Mark keeps looking at his, over his shoulder out the window hearing Henry and he's itching, he's itching to get out there and, and hang out and play. So Susan is like, well, I see you ate most of your pancakes. So while you get out of here, I'll see you at lunch. We will get a lot of this from different people. Definitely Susan, definitely Connie, you know, the women, they like to make sure that Mark is doing good. He's adjusting. You know, it's a change. He's hanging out with people he hasn't really seen in a decade and probably doesn't remember. She's just, you know, um, Susan and Connie both are like, we're really glad you're here, Mark. You know, we're going to we're gonna take good care of you. We're going to make sure you're happy. You're having a good time. All that jazz. You'll hear Henry say, hey, Mark, come on, let's go. And you see Mark's eyes kind of like look at Susan, almost asking permission, like, oh, I ate most of my pancakes. Can I go? And she's like, I'll see you at lunch. Bye-bye. And he just, boom, he's gone. He's out the door. (laughs) So actually, just going to the book for a quick second, there is a spot here where it's right before they come to Maine. It's the funeral of Mark's mother, and Wallace is there. And Jack are kind of talking about, like, how is Susan doing? They're referring to what happened two years earlier when they lost their two-year-old son, Richard, who drowned in the bathtub. And Wallace, when Jack asked, like, how is she doing? And Wallace sighed, she has good days and not such good days. It's something you never stop living with, something you never forget. You wake up in the middle of the night wondering if there's any th- there was anything you could have done differently. I still don't have an answer. Real quick, here's a little bit of their travel because we really don't get to see it. So it says their journey took them across Arizona and through Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then, then though... Then through the northern part of Texas, where they stopped to have buffalo burgers in a cafe in Amarillo. From there, they passed oil wells in western Oklahoma and saw more cornfields in southern Kansas than they ever imagined existed. Missouri was where they stayed in a 
farmhouse inn that looked as if it were out of Little House on the Prairie. They drove through Illinois and visited the first McDonald's ever built. Then crossed northern Indiana, cut through the lower eastern corner of Michigan. In Detroit, they visited a car museum and then headed into Canada. From there, they passed through Toronto and on to Montreal before cutting due east and into Maine. Wow, they went through a lot of states. So we also learn that Mark's father is into computer software and Wallace actually runs a mutual fund. He ran a mutual fund during the 80s, so that's why he lives in a three or four story house. So, of course, Mark, like some of us that don't know what that means, it's explained to us. It's sort of like a company that buys shares of stock in other companies, then turns around and sells shares of its own stock to the public. Okay, well, it all has to do with picking the right stocks and lowering the risk an investor takes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And a lot of complicated mumbo-jumbo, basically. So, remember how I said when Mark walked into the house for the first time and saw Wallace and they shared a look and she had this expression? I want to kind of read this little bit here because Mark kind of talks about, like, there's something there between him and Susan, like a motherly connection. Mother-son, almost, mother-son connection. An attractive woman with short brown hair and large brown eyes stepped in the hallway that led to the front door. As she walked toward them, her eyes met Mark's, and they stared at each other as if in a trance. Mark suddenly had the strangest sensation, as if for that very short span of time, there was no one else there except her. He felt goosebumps run down his arms. It felt as if, in some strange way, they immediately shared something, or maybe it was the feeling that somehow they already knew each other, even though they'd never laid eyes on each other before. So quickly, I'll read the introduction between Mark and Henry, and I'll get back to the movie. At the top of the stairs, leering over the banister, a pale, sinister face stared back at them. Mark felt an involuntary shiver. The face reminded him of advertisements he'd seen for the Phantom of the Opera. For one long, stunned moment, no one said a thing. Wallace was the first to speak. Very funny, Henry. Now come on down. Henry? Mark realized it was only a mask. The boy... Wearing it must be Henry. Taller than Mark, he was wearing a maroon sweatshirt over a denim shirt and jeans. Still wearing the mask, Henry Evans bounded down the stairs and jumped the last five steps. Landing with a loud thud on the entryway, tape, uh, entryway floor, suddenly pretending to have a terrible limp, he staggered toward Mark, making strange, incoherent sounds. Out of the corner of his eye, Mark saw Susan's look of shock become one of amusement. Okay, Henry, Wallace said in a tolerant voice, hospitality. Henry pulled off the mask and smiled as if he were pleased with the effect he'd had on everyone. He was a good-looking, blonde-haired boy who seemed quick to smile and f seemed quick to smile and filled with energy. Now he handed something to Mark. Mark looked down and saw that it was another mask. I made two, so that we could be brothers, Henry said. Mark held the mask to his face and looked at the others. Everyone laughed, but it wasn't because they thought it was funny. It was more like they were just relieved. Henry put his mask back on, too. Now identical, the boys bowed to each other. Susan smiled and ruffled Henry's hair. You may not believe this, but this is my darling, beautiful boy, she said. What a warm chuckle. 
Alright, so back from the movie, Mark runs out onto the wraparound porch, and right away, a football is thrown at his chest. And luckily, he's like, oh, got it! Like, he catches it. Of course, Henry's like, good catch, now throw it to me. Oh, he's like, nice catch, hit me. And Mark throws it. Mark's wearing a heavy hooded coat. And I'm guessing it's gotta be... I'm trying to judge what the weather is. It's just after Christmas. And it's Maine. So, it just you see, like, patches of snow and grass underneath, so... But yeah, I was right. Henry is wearing what looks almost like a denim jacket. And he's got a denim button-up... And a burgundy-colored sweatshirt underneath. Who wears fingerless gloves in the winter? Who? That is... Why? Don't you want, in the winter, all your fingers, especially your fingertips, to be covered? So, now we follow the boys who go through a broken part in the fence. And now the boys have stopped. They're looking upwards... And we don't see it just yet, but there is, I wouldn't even call it a treehouse. It's just a platform with a rickety railing. It's almost like, I'm going to build a treehouse. And then by the time you get the platform done, you're like, you know what? I really don't want to put any more effort into this. You get bored and you give up. It looked very, very unsafe. So Henry looks at Mark like, oh, are you afraid of heights? And Mark is still looking up like, uh. No, like, oh, oh. <laughs> I get that Mark doesn't want to seem like, you know, I guess if you want to call it like a wimp, he doesn't want to look like that in front of his cousin. Because Henry definitely does look like the guy who you admit you're fearful of something and he is going to rag on you all day, every day about it. I'm looking at Henry's shoes. They're both black Nikes at the moment. Maybe later on he's got one black Nike, one white one, but he's like, all right, cool. See you at the top then. Mark is still like looking up. Like, I don't really know about this. And Henry stops like midway, looks down like, hey, are you coming or what? So basically they're just pulling themselves up by these planks of wood that are used for steps. And it's just like, ugh. And this is like, got to be one of the tallest trees in this forest. It's tall and skinny. Even Mark is wearing fingerless gloves. Oh, Connie's at the bottom watching them. Well, you aren't going to be included in this. But then again, it's like, I want to come too. For fuck's sake, how far up is this damn tree? It looks like they've been climbing forever. I'm going to play this little clip. It's been played in the trailers. It's where Mark is... Henry's already up on the platform, and Mark is struggling to get up there, and one of the steps ends up kind of breaking underneath his feet, and he's just dangling there, like, help, help me, help me, help me, because he's got Mark by one hand, and it's like, help me, please, and Henry just looks at him like, hey, if I let you go, do you think you could fly? And I'm like... Yeah, I'm fucking Peter Pan. Just give me, take my other fucking hand, please. Like, this is not a time to be making jokes, kid. I mean, oi. Help me up. 
question do you think you could if i let you go do you think you could fly and poor marcus just like scared shitless he's like help please help me it's like dude you drop him he's he's fucking dead he's dead he's breaking his neck along with every other part of his body luckily henry pulls him up there's barely room there's just enough room for both of them to lay side by side on their backs together and that's about it on this platform. It's like, what in the... Oh, my God. Well, think about how long... It's so far up in that tree that I don't even think you can get a cherry picker out there to extend that far up. But it's just... It's so far up that you probably had to take a, one piece of wood at a time. So I can imagine he started building this thing. He's 12 now. He probably started building it when he was, like, 8 years old. It just looks so rickety and unsafe. There's barely a railing to it. Ugh. They need to call Punky Brewster, okay? Because Punky Brewster knew how to put together a treehouse. So now the boys are going exploring through an old train yard and they start throwing rocks through these already busted out windows until some guy who's either... I think it's someone who ever runs the... the um, the old train yard, or maybe it could even be a possible homeless person. I, I, I don't know, but the guy's, hey, you little kids, get the fuck out of here before I call the cops, basically. Now, I, I'm not going to say that I didn't throw rocks at, like, um, old beat-up car windshields. We had, like, um, a mini junkyard on the property of the farm at one point and there are these old cars that were just there that didn't run anymore so I'd take like rocks and stuff and like throw them at the windshield eventually I got caught and told like don't do that anymore but just that, th that thrill of like being bad and doing something you know you're not supposed to do or would definitely be frowned upon there's the excitement and the idea that you could get caught and you know you're not supposed to do that. Oh, real quick, when Mark was eating breakfast in the book, Susan is just really, you're in for a treat. This is the real thing straight from the tree. She's talking about the maple syrup. And she asked him, like, oh, what do you think? He's like, oh, it's good. And in his mind, he's thinking it tasted different from the syrup he tasted in places like the International House of Pancakes, which, of course, we all know as IHOP. She's really shaming processed store-bought syrup. This is made from real maple tree sap, Susan said, gesturing to the small can of syrup. The syrups you get in the store are just sugar, water, and food coloring. Like, yes, we know. Great. Real maple syrup is the best. Alright, so I want to read from where Mark is climbing up there to the, the tree fort. A few minutes later, Mark reached the branches just below the platform. He grabbed another branch and planted his foot on a small one. He was just about to pull himself up onto the platform when there was a loud crack, 
and the branch supporting his foot snapped. He was falling! For one terrifying second, Mark was certain he was going to die. In a desperate attempt to save himself, he threw up his hands to grab for anything. Suddenly he felt two hands go around his wrists. He stared up and found Henry above him, his arms extended over the edge of the platform, holding him. He was the only thing between Mark and a certain death. Mark's heart was beating so fast he could feel it all over his body. Adrenaline and fear raced through him. He stared up into Henry's face, but the smile he was used to seeing was gone. Henry gazed back at him with an empty, almost disinterested look. Mark grunted and kicked his feet trying to find a branch. Looking down for a foothold, he saw for the first time how sickeningly high in the air he hung. In a flash, his head snapped back up as he stared pleadingly into Henry's eyes. Henry's lips began to move. If I let you go, do you think you could fly? He had to be joking, but Mark was so terrified he couldn't get an answer out of his throat. He was totally at Henry's mercy. The idea that Henry would let go was inconceivable, yet at the same time so terrifying that Mark wanted to cry out. Just then, Henry pulled him up. Mark managed to get a leg on the platform, or edge of the platform. His legs were still swinging freely in the air beneath him, but now, as he pulled himself up, he felt Henry grab his shoulders. A moment later, Henry pulled Hen uh, Mark onto the platform, and they both lay there gasping for breath. Mark couldn't believe how close he'd come. He didn't know what to think about Henry, letting him hang there and asking that crazy question. Once again, it made him feel angry, but when he looked over at Henry, the boy gave him that charming smile. Then Henry began to laugh took and took a swipe at Mark's knee as if it had all been a joke. Did this even be considered a trope? Kids running through a cemetery? Because it seems like I see in movies or TV shows, like sometimes, you know, people running through, kids running through cemeteries, and it's kind of unnerving. So they stop at this well, and apparently it's a place that Henry comes to often, and no one else really does, because he's got a loose uh, brick that's in the well that he pulls out from the inside of it. And he pulls out this metal black box. And Mark's like, oh, what do you got in the box? A cigarette and a Zippo lighter. And apparently, Henry is a natural because he doesn't cough or anything. He just sucks it in, you know, spells it out. And Mark's just kind of looking at Henry like, dude, this is too much for me. Cause when Henry extends it, like, here. You want to try it? And Mark's first thought is, they give you cancer. And Henry's response to this is, so what? I mean, you're going to die anyway. It's like, ouch. Like, his mother just died. Definitely a challenge. Like, Mark wants to seem, you know, cool. Like, I don't want to uh, seem like I'm a wimp. I want him to like me. You know, Mark's got to be there for two weeks. And he's sharing a room with Henry, so... He probably feels the pressure, like, I guess I better do this then, huh? But I want to play this clip because we do get a little insight and we learn about Henry's little brother, Richard, who drowned in the bathtub. We start to see Henry's fascination with death as he's talking about, hey, did they, when your mom died, did they let you see her after she died? And he's like, oh, you should have made them let you look. Like, look at her cheeks, her lips. You know, when I saw my kid brother Richard, it 
you know, after he drowned in the bathtub, his lips were completely blue and this and that. And it's just like, dude, whoa. And Marcus, you're like, hey, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Can we, like, drop it? Because he even, Mark even threatens Henry, like, hey, don't talk about my mom anymore or else. And Henry's like, oh, really? You're telling me what to do? You try to come at me and your butt's going down that well. Along with the cigarette. So, here's the clip. are standing on the edge of this open hole of a well. It's like, either one, eventually, um, Henry backs off like, hey, look, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything about your mom. I, I was very insensitive, basically. I, I don't know what came over me. I mean, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have a mom, right? So they're like, hey, friends, he's basically extending the olive branch. Mark's like... Alright, yes, we're friends. I was worried, probably when I first saw that, I'm like, oh my god, he is going to yank Mark over that hole and just let him fall. That made me nervous. Because, yeah, we've already seen at the treehouse. So, this house, we got to this house at night with the snow blowing on it, and the lights are all aglow in the windows, and the lights on the porch. It just it makes the house have a nice, warm, cozy, homey type feel to it. Alright, so I want to read uh, the cemetery part. So Henry took out a red and white pack of marbles. In the movie, he just takes out a cigarette. And a rusty old lighter out of the box. In the movie, it's a Zippo. Mark watched in amazement as his cousin put a cigarette in his mouth and then lit it with a lighter. Henry took a deep drag and exhaled the smoke. Then he offered the cigarette to Mark. No thanks, Mark shook his head. Go on, 
Henry said, pushing the cigarette toward him. Mark saw that it was a dare, that it was yet another test. But this was one he wasn't interested in taking. They give you cancer, he said. So what, Henry replied. You're going to die anyway. Mark stared at him, a little shocked. It seemed like a strange thing to say. Mark had never actually thought about the possibility <clears throat> of dying himself. Then, or excuse me, there were one or two times like at the tree that morning when it had occurred to him that it might be possible. But it still wasn't something he ever thought about. Old people died and grown-ups who got sick, like his mother. Henry was still holding the cigarette toward him. Mark could feel his resistance failing. He wanted to be friends with Henry. He needed a friend. Mark reached for the cigarette. One drag probably wouldn't hurt. Besides, the truth was that he'd always wondered what it tasted like. Everybody told you how bad they were, and yet people still smoked them. There had to be something to it. Mark pressed the filter against his lips and tasted the tobacco. A wisp of warm cigarette smoke got into his nose and burned his nostrils. Slowly, tentatively, he took a drag. The distasteful smoke in his lungs instantly caused Mark to cough violently. A nauseated feeling swept through him, and he was afraid for a moment that he might throw up. Mark handed the cigarette back to Henry, who climbed up on the well wall and stood on the edge. Mark climbed up on the wall beside him. The well was a deep black hole, and he couldn't see the bottom. He knew that he was going, what he was doing was dangerous, but he'd already coughed on the cigarette and didn't want to seem like a total dweeb by chickening out. Did you see your mother after she was dead? Henry suddenly asked. The question was a little personal and painful, but Mark felt compelled to answer. I wanted to, but they wouldn't let me. Henry took another drag and flicked the cigarette into the well. Out of the corner of his eye, Mark watched the red ember disappear into the darkness below. He didn't hear it hiss. You should have made them let you look, Henry said. It's very important. Nobody actually talks about death. That's why you have to investigate. It's scientific. The talk of death and his mother made Mark feel very uncomfortable. It doesn't seem scientific to me, he said, hoping Henry would drop it. He didn't like talking about his mother as dead. He didn't like thinking of his mother as dead. What did your mom look like the last time you saw her? Henry asked. Mark winced and looked in, up into his eyes. Henry looked back and Henry looked back with almost no expression on his face. He wasn't grinning or leering or anything. It just seemed like he was curious. Still, Mark wished he wouldn't talk about it. She looks kind of pale, Mark replied reluctantly. Kind of pale? Henry frowned. When my kid brother drowned in the bathtub, I got a real good look. Mark felt his eyes widen. He drowned? He was completely blue, Henry said. You should have looked at your mother's eyes and lips and touched your skin to see what it felt like. You know, hot, cold, whatever. Her eyes? Her lips? Mark thought. Without wanting to, Mark pictured it for a second. His mother dead. Her open, glassy eyes. Her pale, bloodless lips. No, it was awful. Too awful. He forced the thought out of his head, angry that Henry had made him think of such things. Don't talk about my mother anymore. Hey, don't get mad, Henry said. I was just being scientific. Talk about something else, Mark said. And if I don't? Suddenly, Henry, Henry wouldn't back down. Mark stared at him. This wasn't open for discussion. His mother was off limits, and he wanted to make sure Henry knew it. I'll slug you, Mark threatened. Henry looked back at him, unwavering. Try it. I'll throw you down there, he nodded toward, down at the black hole below them. 
The next thing he knew, Mark had raised his clenched fists. His emotions were a swirling rage inside him. He almost didn't care about the well, or anything else for that matter. He just didn't want Henry to talk about his mother anymore. Henry raised his fists. For a moment, the boys just stared at each other. There was something so still and empty about Henry's eyes. Henry dropped his fists and smiled sheepishly. Hey, look, I'm sorry. That was real dumb of me. I know how I'd feel if I lost my mom. Friends? Mark watched as Henry extended his hand. Once again, he felt his anger drain. When Henry smiled and acted friendly like that, it was almost impossible not to like him. Mark unclenched his fists and offered his hand to Henry. They shook. Mark wondered if Henry might try to do something funny, like give his hand a little pull, pretending to yank him off balance and into the well. But Henry let go of his hand and hopped down. A moment later, he acted as if nothing had ever happened. So real quick, there's another part that didn't happen in the movie that I, I remember. So the boys spent the whole afternoon outside sliding around on an ice-covered pond in their sneakers, climbing more trees, throwing rocks at lined-up empty beer cans. Every time Mark thought there was nothing left to do, Henry always came up with something new and fun. By late afternoon, the sun had begun to throw a pinkish light on the cl few clouds in the sky. Henry had yet another idea and checked his watch. Hey, it's time for the afternoon train. He began to run. Run. <clears throat> Excuse me. We going somewhere? Mark asked, running after him. You'll see. Got any pennies? I think so. Why? Just get him out, Henry said. They raced across the field, then up an embankment and through a hole in a d rusty old chain link fence. They came across some railroad tracks on an elevated bed of gravel. Mark looked in both directions, but there was no sign of a train. You sure no... You sure one's coming? It doesn't always, Henry said, but sometimes it does. Here, give me two pennies. Mark reached into his pocket and took out two pennies. Henry put one on each rail. Then he got down on his hands and knees and pressed his ear against one of the rails. What are you doing, Mark asked, listening for the train. He picked up his head and pressed his hand against his ear. Wow, that's cold. Mark smiled. Did you hear one? No, but let's wait a while. So apparently Henry wants to do a uh, Teddy Duchamp from Stand By Me train dodge because turns out a train is coming and Henry's like not getting off the tracks. Moments later, the train rushed past, pulling a violent wake of wind. Henry couldn't have been more than 10 feet from the tracks when the train hurled by. Even Mark, standing 40 feet away, felt his hair being blown to the side. He closed his eyes as the air was filled with dust and a few brown slivers of torn leaves. They'd found, in no time he'd found the two pennies, now both flattened paper thin and shaped a little like guitar picks. Here you go, Henry said, flipping one of the flattened pennies to Mark. Mark caught it and was surprised. Wow, it feels hot. Yeah, it has something to do with all the molecules getting moved around. Mark grinned and pocketed the penny. So, it's been a long day. The boys get home. They're laying in bed. They're rehashing the day, especially with that big guy that came out to threaten them when they were throwing rocks through those windows. Wallace comes upstairs like, all right, guys, all right, knock it off. Time to go to just <laughs> go to sleep. Not another peep now, <laughs> as he hears them whispering. And they're like, peep, peep. <laughs> and he, he, Wallace kind of giggles as he walks past. Like, oh, I remember being a a young boy giggling with friends and brother, you know, his brother, probably when they were that age. Stay up at, late at night talking. So... Mark says, hey, Henry, today was fun. And Henry's like, yeah, tomorrow will be even better. Like, ooh, wow, what does that mean? 
So the boys are just walking down this, I guess if you want to call it a, a boardwalk that connects uh, one side of, I say a boardwalk over the water to get to the other side. Um, they're just walking, talking about, um, oh, Mark is into comics. He's like, hey, you ever read Skeleton Man? And Henry's like, who? Apparently, Skeleton Man is this really cool superhero you can't kill because he's already dead. And Mark's like, or Henry's like, yeah, I don't read comics. Those things can warp your mind. So the boys are just kind of walking along, laughing, shoving each other. And all of a sudden, this, I don't think it's a, if it's a version of a pit bull, I'm not sure. But this dog just starts running and growling. And it's like, those kids better be hauling ass because they're going to be ripped to shreds by that dog. And the dog's got like a leather vest on or a leather halter I'm not sure what that is maybe it's like a coat of armor leather armor or something I'm not sure the boys make it to the other side they close the gate and the dog is just barking its full head off and Mark is like out of breath they're both out of breath but Henry goes over to the dog and just starts and tagging the you know, barking at it and teasing it and whatnot. So Mark is just looking at Henry like, what in the fuck is with you, dude? And as he pulls, Mark pulls Henry away, like, Henry, come on, let's go. We don't need to hang around all day barking at this dog. And Henry's like, oh, I love that dog. So he must encounter that dog on a regular basis. So now we catch Susan standing out on this cliff. I guess she goes out there to think about, you know, Richard, because... Mark and Henry are hanging out on this other cliff and they kind of see Susan. It's like, it's almost like she goes out there maybe to seek answers or for solace or for something. Oh, well, we don't got time to sit here and watch my mom. Um, let's go see my new invention that I made. This kid has got a garage full of his many deadly, deathly creations. One of which is a crossbow that shoots, um, railroad spikes. Let me read a quick passage here from the book that talks about them actually going out and getting the railroad spikes. What are you looking for? Mark asked. You'll see, Henry replied. He looked down around a few moments more and then reached down for something that was half buried in the gravel. He pulled up a rusty railroad spike. Help me find more, Henry said. What for? You'll see. Come on, let's see who can find the most. Mark began to look around on the ground like the first one Henry had found. Most of the spikes were part, part, partly buried. Sometimes only a little bit of the head showed through. Once Mark got used to to what to look for, he started finding them without difficulty. Soon their pockets were bulging with the heavy spikes. If I find any more, I think my pockets will rip, Mark said. Henry nodded and patted his own pockets. Yeah, that's enough for now. Let's go. Where? You'll see. Once again, Mark started to follow Henry. He wasn't sure why Henry had always had always had to make a mystery of things, never telling Mark anything more than was necessary, but in a way, Mark didn't mind. Never knowing what was coming next did make it feel like more of an adventure. Walking with their pockets filled with spikes wasn't easy. It was more like waddling. They followed the tracks for a while, and then Henry turned through another hole in the fence. This one led through some woods toward a large pond. The pond was wide and partially covered by ice. Henry and Mark began to walk along it. Soon they came along... They came to a long, narrow footbridge that went across the... Oh, okay, this is with the dog. Gotcha. 
I can definitely see in the book those kids have their, their pockets full with those railroad spikes. It's going to slow them down when it comes to uh, getting chased by that dog. And apparently it took Henry three months to make it. Like He's like, hey, isn't this beautiful? It's like, yeah, sure, great. So now they got the bolt loaded into it, and Henry's like, all right, now we got that the, the bolt in there. Let's line up the kitty cat here. And Mark is like, well, don't hit it. Just give it a scare. And Henry's like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. The way the camera focuses on this cat, like, oh, because he's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, like, give it a scare. And the bolt, like, goes just inches above this cat's head. And the cat just looks like, what, what, was that there just a moment ago? The cat meows like, meow, I want to play this clip. <laughs> the cat, like, hunches down, like, oh my god. Like, it must know, like, an attempt on its life has been made. Line up kitty cat. Don't hit her. Just give her a scare. Sure. impressed that the uh, railroad spike has been embedded into that tree. Like, wow, this is amazing. But, of course, Henry's not happy. He's like, yeah, that's great. But the site's not right yet. It's like, nah. He's like, mm. he's got the wheels turning in his head. So of course, remember Mrs. Davenport, the psychologist um, that was mentioned at the dinner when Jack had brought Mark there. Well, now Mark has to have a session with her. Like, uh, and he doesn't want to talk to her. It's like, no, I, I'm, my dad thinks I have to come here because I'm not talking to him. <sighs> so now we have the session between Mark and Dr. Davenport and Mark is really resistant. He doesn't really want to talk. He's like, sometimes it helps. And he's like, well, my dad sent me here. So, she's like, well, your dad thought you might want to talk about your mom and everything. He's like, hey, look, I can handle it, okay? I, I get it. It's like, seriously, he's on vacation. And if he's not ready to open up to his dad, what makes her think that he's going to be open up to talking to a stranger about what's going on with his mom? And this therapist, this Dr. Davenport, is very... She's pushy. She's really, really pushy. So she's like, oh, you can? And he's like, yeah, I made a promise. And he says, you know, when something's your fault. And basically goes into, he blames himself. Like, I let my mom die. I told her I wouldn't let her die. And, oh, he doesn't say his mother. He says, I let someone die. So... Mark wakes up from a dream, it's late at night, and the bedroom door to Henry's room is open a crack, and we see a figure in a white dressing gown or nightgown slink past, bare feet, walking on a hardwood floor. Mark wakes up, and it's almost like he gets this vision like it's his mother. Alright, so I'm going to read... Uh, Alice Davenport and Mark's conversation here as he comes in. Mark stepped into the office. Now he could see some low shelves along one wall. 
filled with children's games and toys. There was a couch in the room and a chair. Mark glanced at Alice quizzically. Whichever you'd like, Alice said. Mark chose the chair. So, how are you? Alice asked. Fine. Are you enjoying your stay at your uncle's? Yes. I'm glad. Mark nodded, but he didn't really care that she was glad. Instead of asking another question, Alice just sat there quietly and looked at him. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark felt uncomfortable. He didn't want to look back. Glancing over at the shelves, he noticed a, kaleido a toy kaleidoscope. Again, he glanced at Alice. Go right ahead, Alice said. Mark reached over and picked up the toy. He aimed it out the window and turned it slowly, making all kinds of designs. Minutes passed. Mark occupied himself with a kaleidoscope. Finally, Alice cleared her throat. You know, this is a nice change. Most of the people who come see me, all they want to do is talk. Her tone was warm and humorous, but Mark wasn't fooled. I'm not dumb, you know, he muttered. What? Alice asked curiously. You think you can get me to talk by acting like you don't want me to, Mark said. You're, a few, you're using reverse psychology. I can't help it, replied without missing a beat. I'm a reverse psychologist. It was actually kind of funny. Mark almost smiled, then caught himself. Well, I just don't have anything to say. Your dad thinks you do, Alice said. Then maybe he should come here. Alice didn't respond. She just gazed at him with a sympathetic look on her face. Now Mark felt bad for being fresh. Well, he just wants me to talk about my mom, he said. I know, Alice replied. And like I said, I have nothing to say. Alice nodded slowly. Mark, when we lose someone we love, I can handle it, Mark quickly cut her off. He didn't want to get a lecture. That was the last thing he wanted. Can you? Alice asked. Mark took a deep breath and let it out slowly. I have to. Why? Because when you do something, he began, it was hard to explain. He didn't really want to explain. It was a secret he'd been harboring since his mother died. It was his problem. Something he had to work on himself. Yet at the same time, he realized that it was something that he wanted to come out. Yes, Alice nudged him gently. Against his will, Mark could feel the thing he didn't want to say pushing its way out. It's just that when someone, when something's your fault, the words trailed off. Why was he talking about this? Why couldn't he keep it to himself? What did you do? Alice asked. I, I let someone die, Mark blurted out. The words felt as if someone else had spoken them. He couldn't believe he'd said that. He wasn't even sure he'd thought of it precisely that way before. But as soon as he heard himself say it, he knew that it was true. That was how he felt. That was the thing he'd been keeping locked inside. He told his mother he wouldn't let her die, and then he had. Across the room, Alice didn't look surprised or shocked or anything like that. She just leaned forward and held him with her eyes. Tell me how you did it, she said softly. Tell me how you let your mother die. Before Mark could stop himself, the words came spilling out. The dam had broken. So, Mark awakens from a dream. He thinks he sees his mother. He starts following this figure dressed in white down the stairs. And the whole time, we only see from the neck below. We can definitely tell it's a female. It's almost like whether 
the people that made the movie wanted to give the illusion that, oh, this is could be Mark's mother in Susan's form or something to that effect. And he gets down to the foot of the stairs and sees the woman opening up the French doors leading into another room. He stands there and says, Mom? And she turns. She's like, Mark, are you okay? And and Mark just stands there in shock. Like, the realization, like, no, this is not his mother. She goes, she sees Mark kind of sitting there in shock. She's like, honey, what's the matter? And he looks at her and says, it is you. You came back. I knew you'd come back. And she's like, oh, sweetheart, I'm right here. So she sits down next to him. She's like, I'm right here. And he just starts crying. You know, he, he, he grabs her and just... She starts rocking him back and forth. And up above, who should we see on the banister of the stairs? Clinging to the rails, but Henry. And, of course, he doesn't like the fact that his mother is comforting Mark. Like, no, no, that's my mom. Please stop. But, um, the book actually does explain this scene a bit. There is a bit more to it than what's being displayed on screen here. In the bedroom he shared with Henry, Mark twisted restlessly in his sheet and blanket. Someone was calling him. Mark? Mark, can you hear me? It was his mother. Mark looked around. He was in the woods. Mom? He shouted. Where are you? Here, Mark, came the reply, but all Mark saw were the trees moving, turning slowly as if inside a kaleidoscope. I can't see you, he shouted. Shouted. Sorry, guys. I'm here, but now even her voice was kaleidoscopic, coming from eight directions at once. Which one are you, he cried. This one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Which one, he cried. Which one, which... Mark's eyes opened. What now? Where were the trees? How had it gotten to be so dark all of a sudden? Mom? He said. Outside, the wind whistled in response. Mark looked over to the dark shape of Henry asleep in his bed. It was a dream. Just a dream. Or was it? Mark heard a faint creak and the door to Henry's room opened a few inches. A shaft of light from the hall spilled in. Who had opened the door? Was it the wind? Suddenly someone passed by in the hall. Mark had only a glimpse, but he could tell it was a woman in a white dress, like the dress in his mother's closet. Mom? Mark whispered. No, it wasn't possible. Or was it? There was no answer, but it sure looked like her. Maybe it was her. Maybe she'd come back because he'd talked so much about her that afternoon. Mark climbed out of bed and walked barefoot across the room. He pulled open the door and looked out. The hallway was empty. Where could she have gone? He walked out to the top of the stairs and looked down. Suddenly he felt his heart leap into his throat. There she was, in the white dress. She'd gone downstairs. Her back was toward him as she stopped by a small table and pulled open a drawer beneath it. Mom? Mark couldn't believe it. He started down the stairs gently and slowly, as if afraid to frighten her. As if a loud noise might cause her to bolt away like a startled rabbit. Just a few steps from the bottom, one of the steps creaked. 
His mother heard it and turned around, only it wasn't his mother, it was Susan. Mark's hopes fell like a wave on a beach and crashed. His legs gave out and he sat down hard on the steps. How could it not be her? He'd been certain it was her. How could it be Susan? His aunt stared back at him with a concerned look on her face. Mark? It had to be her. It just could not be her. Mark, what's the matter, honey? Susan asked, taking a step toward him. Mark just stared at her. He could feel his lower lip tremble and his eyes begin to fill with tears. Maybe it was her. Maybe she just changed a little. All those things Susan did that were just like the things his mother did. The way she was soft and nice and understanding. Yes, his mother was there, somewhere, inside of Susan. Mark? Susan's expression went from concern to outright worry. It is you, Mark whispered. You came back. I knew you'd come back. Susan stared at him, not quite comprehending. I didn't go anywhere. I've been right here all the time. It was too much, just as the words had come spilling out to Alice Davenport. Now all the grief Mark had been holding inside came spilling out. Mark buried his face in his hands and began to sob. All the pain and misery of the past year, ever since his mom had gotten sick, it all came pouring out. He felt Susan come closer, felt her arms slide around him, but it made no difference. Nothing on the outside mattered. It was all on the inside, and it was all pouring out. Susan held the boy in her arms and rocked him gently. She knew it wasn't enough to soothe him, but it was all that she could do. The sound of a boy crying brought Wallace out of the den. He stood in the doorway at the end of the hall, not wanting to let his presence be noticed. Someone else was watching them as well. At the top of the landing, Henry stood in his pajamas, watching how his mother cradled Mark and how his father stood in the doorway silently. Why was his mother doing that? She was his mother, not Mark's. He wished she'd stop. So now we get to Mark and Connie time. We haven't really seen Quinn Culkin too much on screen, which they didn't really give her a lot to do until later on. She has her big sing with, scene with uh, Henry down the road. Um, they're working on a puzzle. It's a nice, cozy afternoon. They got the fire blaring in the fireplace. They're just on the floor working on a puzzle. He's showing her how to... They got a good chunk of it together. And he's like, alright, we'll see how this piece is blue. So where's that going to go? She's like, well, it has to be the sky. He's like, yep, you got it. Just looking at the girl Quinn Culkin who plays Connie, this girl looks like a Culkin. All the Culkins, they look alike. Just about. So she asks, like, hey, Mark, do you like living in our house? And he's like, yeah, sure. And she's like, yeah, we're going to look after you real good so you won't be sad. So, of course, Henry comes in to kind of ruin their happy, fun time of putting together a puzzle and just things not being complicated like it is when Mark's with Henry. Henry comes in and says, Mark, oh, 900 hours. Let's move out. Does that mean it's like 9 a.m.? I don't know. Military time? Of course, Connie gets up and Henry immediately shoves her back like, hey, not you. She's like, why not? He's my friend, too. And Henry just dr literally drags Mark out of the house. And he's like, yeah, I'll play with you later. 
Connie runs after them out on the porch like, Hey, I don't want to play with you either. I got my own secrets. And I'm not going to tell you a single one. And be like, good, because we really don't care. Alright, so both boys are running through the woods. They got heavy packs filled with stuff, which of course is all containing to put together Henry's crossbow. His handmade crossbow that shoots railroad spikes. So, of course, their vantage point through the woods is going to be that dock. Mark's like, hey, try to hit that sign. And Henry's like, negative. And then he's like... So, Henry immediately picks up on the dog just casually patrolling the dock there. Or the bridge, if you want to call it. It's a footbridge. He's like, alright, targeting. And Mark right away is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You see the camera slows down the dog's pace as it slowly trods along on the bridge. And then we cut to Henry's hand on the trigger. And we hear the gun go off. We hear the dog go, Row! And just Mark's face of, oh my god. And... Henry is just, he's got this triumphant look on his face, but as soon as Mark looks over at him, he's like, oh, I, I, I just, I didn't mean to hurt him, I just meant to startle him. So I'm going to play this clip real quick because it's like, whoa, this just got real. Henry just took a life. Mark looks over at Henry like he has seen Henry in a whole new light. Like, who even are you? And when Henry says, I was only trying to scare him, there is no emotion on this boy's face. Like, zero emotion, literally ever. I don't know. I mean, this boy, this actor had more emotion in Home Alone and Uncle Buck than this movie. But then again, he's playing the part of a psychotic killer child. So maybe that calls for you to basically be emotionless. Or uh, have a poker face 24-7 a day. I don't know. So the book, wow, <laughs> really gets into this. Alright, it was, okay, Mark looked over, up over the rock. On the other side of the stream was a brown and white dog, the one that had chased them over the footbridge. It was trotting along the water's edge, unaware of Henry and Mark. Henry began to move the spike gun in time with the dog. It seemed to Mark that he was aiming right at it. What are you doing? Mark asked. There was a click and a loud sprong as the spike gun fired. Across the stream, the dog suddenly threw was suddenly thrown sideways. It yelped loudly, but then struggled back to its feet and kept walking. For a second, Mark felt relieved. Henry hadn't been aiming at it after all, but then a small crimson spot appeared on the dog's side. Mark caught his breath. The spot started growing larger. The dog faltered, but tried to keep walking. 
Oh my god, Mark gasped. By now the red spot covered the dog's entire side. His legs buckled and folded beneath him. He struggled up, almost succeeding in getting back to his feet, then finally toppled down in a heap. One leg rose and fell. Then the dog was still. Mark turned and stared at Henry in disbelief. Henry was still watching the dog. The expression on his face was one of wonder and awe. You killed it, Mark said. Henry turned to him slowly, as if in a daze. His eyes gradually focused on Mark. For a moment, Mark wondered if he'd even heard him. Then Henry spread his hands innocently and said, I only wanted to scare it. Mark glanced at the dog and then back at Henry. He didn't know whether to believe him or not. Did you see how it happened? Henry asked. I mean, how it just kept walking like nothing was wrong and then it just got slower and slower and it couldn't walk anymore. I wonder what it felt like. I wonder when it knew that it was hurt. Mark didn't share Henry's interest or fascination. He couldn't believe they just killed a living creature. That dog might have chased them the other day, but it was still someone's pet. Are you sure you didn't mean to hit it? Mark asked. Henry looked back at him blankly. What do you think? What do you think? I don't know what to think, Mark said. I mean, don't you feel bad about it? Henry looked back at the dog lying unmoving beside the stream. You think he would have felt bad if he'd gotten us that day? Yes, but he was just a dog. He didn't know any better. Now he does, Henry replied with an offhanded shrug. Mark stared back at him in disbelief. It was almost certain now that Henry didn't care at all about what he'd done, and he would never be completely sure that his cousin hadn't intentionally fired at the dog. I think we better tell someone, Mark said. Henry shook his head. You can't. Why not? Because we'll get in really bad trouble, Henry said. No one will believe it was an accident. You want my parents to have to call your father in Japan to tell him you killed a dog? Mark was completely floored. What was Henry talking about? I, I didn't kill it. You didn't help carry the spike gun here, Henry asked. You didn't help me put it together. You were the one who put the spike in it. But I didn't know you were going to aim it at that dog, Mark said. I didn't. It was an accident, remember? Mark didn't know what to think or say. It was true that he helped Henry, but he didn't know what the outcome would be. He thought they were just playing a game. He certainly didn't want to be blamed for killing the dog, and he didn't want to have to get into a situation where he had to tell his father or Wallace and Susan that it was Henry's fault, not his. We have to get rid of it. Mark looked at him in horror. What? I said, we have to get rid of it, Henry said. We can't just leave it there and let the owner find it. Dogs run off all the time. Whoever owns it will just think it ran away. How are you going to get rid of it, Mark asked. Not me, us. We'll have to dump it down the well. In the cemetery, Mark asked. Henry nodded. Then he bent down and began to dismantle the spike gun. What are you doing, Mark asked. I'm taking the gun apart, then we'll get the dog. It was like a bad dream. A nightmare. Mark watched Henry disassemble the gun and put it back into the packs. Henry handed the smaller pack to Mark and he put it on. What choice did they have? Henry was his cousin and friend. They'd made a mistake, but like Henry had said, no one would believe that. When they both had their packs on, they walked along the pond to the footbridge and crossed it. Then they began walking down the other side of the pond toward the dog. The thought of what lay ahead repulsed Mark. Maybe we should really should tell someone, he said, slowing down. If you do, 
If you do, it'll look really bad, Mark, Henry said. I, I know, but look, it was an old dog anyway, Henry said. You saw how great its snout was. Besides, a lot of other things could have happened to it. It could have fallen off a cliff or been run over by a car. And do you have any idea how many dogs around here get shot once hunting season begins? It happens all the time. None of those things made Mark feel any better. Before he knew it, they were standing over the dog at the center of the red spot. The head of the spike protruded from the dog's body. Blood dripped from its fur and ran in tiny rivulets into the pond. The dog's eyes were open and glassy, staring blankly away. Its mouth was open and its tongue hung limp on the ground. Without a word, Henry bent down and grabbed the dog's front legs. Then he looked up at Mark and nodded. Feeling totally repulsed and ill, Mark bent down and slid his hands around the dog's rear legs. They still felt warm. Henry lifted and Mark did the same. The dog's head flopped back. They started to carry the carcass back toward the footbridge. The trip to the cemetery was horrible. Mark couldn't look at the dead creature they were carrying. He felt terrible and guilty and ashamed. Once, when he'd lost his grip and the poor animal fell to the ground, Mark almost burst into tears. Finally, they'd arrived at the cemetery. Henry pulled the wooden cover off the well, and they heaved the carcass inside. It disappeared into the darkness. Henry bent over the well wall and peered in. There was a splash. Henry straightened up and brought an imaginary bugle to his lips, pretending to blow taps. Mark shook his head in disgust and walked away. Sometimes Henry was funny, sometimes he wasn't. Hey, where's your sense of humor? Henry called after him. Mark didn't reply. He was starting to think his cousin was really sick. Well, you know what, Mark? I think you're on the right track of thinking there, buddy. So, Mark is playing, you know, with his fingers on the piano keys. And there are all these pictures on top, including one of his mother and him when he's probably about maybe three or two. And she just looks happy healthy. They both look happy. Looks like they came up to Maine for a visit. Her hair is bright and red and curly and beautiful. And of course he goes to pick the picture up for a closer inspection and in the process he ends up knocking down a few of the pictures onto the floor. So Mark picks up as Susan comes in helping. Like, honey, don't worry, they always fall down. Mark picks up the picture of his mom from the floor and kind of sits crisscross applesauce on the floor and he's like did you like her and Susan smiles like well everybody liked her everybody did and she says you know she was a wonderful person and she loved you very much Mark and Mark says you know the last time I saw her she said she'd always be with me and she says it's true it is your mother's alive in you and she'll always be part of you and Mark looks at her and says and you but I'm thinking I thought that um, Mark's dad and Wallace were brothers. And Susan and Mark's mom aren't sisters. They may be sisters-in-laws, but they're not sisters. So, we see a picture of Richard. And it's Rory Culkin. You can see he's got dark hair. Well, just a strand of dark hair coming in just above his eye. And for the most part, because the picture is like, starts in the left corner from the forehead down. So you can see one strand of dark hair. Definitely got the Culkin face with the eyes and the, li the Culkin lips. 
And, of course, the rubber ducky, which that is going to come into play in a bit later on in the movie. Spoiler alert. So, he's like, I bet you miss him. And she's like, yeah, I sure do. And, of course, who comes in to interrupt this, you know, aunt-nephew time, bonding time, is Henry. And at this point, after the whole scenario with the dog, Mark is really, really hesitant to go anywhere with Henry at this point. So I understand in either the goofs or the trivia or the continuity that they do say that Macaulay Culkin's hair does change quite a bit in the movie. As far as it being like combed down over his ears and kind of framing the sides of his face just a little bit is other times he's wearing a hat, other times his hair is combed back you know, slicked back it's just, that's those aren't different haircuts. They're just, or styles even. It's just, they're just doing different things with his hair. That's not really continuity. So, Mark Redlinson just goes with him. Like, hey, I got something to show you in the garage. Mark kind of looks at um, Susan and she's like, oh yeah, it's fine. It can, you can go. Um, don't worry about it. I got these pictures. And she's like, honey, what are you guys up to? And Mark, of course, is like, sorry, mom, that's top secret. So Mark's like, it's getting dark at this point. And the fact that they're out in the woods, it's right by the house. It's a garage that's just off the property there. And it's not even a garage. It's more of a shed. And Mark's like, so what did you want to show me? And Henry's like, well, I want you to meet somebody. Like, Grief, meet who? You got a person out there? So Henry turns on a light and we see what you think is a person in a chair with a fishing cap on and a jacket and it turns out no it's not a person it's a dummy made up to look like a man the guy's name is miss guy (laughs) no it's not a guy uh mr highway um one of those masks you know the ones that he was henry was wearing when he first came on the scene in the movie and handed one to mark one of those like um old uh Oh, the popcorn ceiling, bottom of the egg carton kind of face. And he's got uh, duct tape to hold that mass together with, I don't know what. He's got glue or paste or rubber cement holding that face together to the net. I don't know. Oh, and he's also wearing a zip-up hoodie underneath a blazer. Oh, is he wearing, like, swimmer's goggles on his eyes? Oh, boy. Given the appearance that he has eyes. So, Mark, of course, is like, well, what are you going to do with him? And Henry just says, point blank, well, that depends. Mark's like, well, on what? Henry says, on whether or not you're willing to help me. I can be like, um, after the dog fiasco, I don't even know why I'm standing here in the shed with you. I'm out. That would be me saying that as Mark. And, of course, Henry leads with, I promise you something amazing. Something you'll never forget. Ultimate question, are you in? And apparently Mark is, because now they're carrying Mr. Highway's body up this hill to this overpass. Great. Up a hill, through the woods. How much does Mr. Highway weigh? How much does Mr. Highway weigh? (laughs) That's funny. Snow traffic on this this road at all. 
And it's not like he's throwing it over a bridge onto an expressway. It's a common two-lane road. I'm going to read the part here where Henry creates this backstory for Mr. Highway. Life's been hard for Mr. Highway, Henry said. His wife divorced him and his kids ran away. His house burned down and his car was stolen. Mark couldn't help smiling. It was all sad stuff, but this was pretend, and Henry made it sound funny. Henry said something more, but a big truck roared under the bridge at that moment and drowned him out. What did you say? Mark asked. I said, poor old Mr. Highway's thinking about the end. Henry said, oh yeah? Yeah, he's had enough of this terrible life, Henry said. He said something more, but again, a truck drowned him out. What? Mark said over the roar. Say goodbye! Henry yelled back. The next thing Mark knew, Henry picked up the dummy. In a flash, Mark had a horrible realization. Don't! He cried. Too late. Henry heaved Mr. Highway over the railing. So, Henry has Mr. Highway propped up on the overpass on the road. And we get a view from a car below their windshield of what looks like it could be an old grandfather man with two young boys all henry says here is poor mr highway he's thinking about the end he's had enough of this terrible life mark's like wait what what and henry's like all right say goodbye as he just pushes mr highway off the overpass and we see an rv slam on its brakes and of course it's a large vehicle so what is it gonna do it's going to flip on its side, causing other cars that are behind it to start slamming on their brakes and crashing right into each other. <laughs> and you see Mark's eyes are just as big as saucers, while Henry, of course, is just grinning maniacally at the mayhem that he has caused below. Every crunch of every car making a uh, contact with each other, Henry's eyebrows go higher and higher with every single crash. We cut to the boys running and you hear the sirens in the background. Henry sees the police cars approaching and they dart off of the road into the woods into a drainage ditch or something, a con concrete sewer or something. Mark, of course, is full-on panicking. Like, I didn't know you didn't tell me. We, we, I didn't know you were going to do this. And Henry's all like, will you shut up a minute as the police cars overhead whiz by. Mark is just like, do you have any idea what you did as he's bent over trying to catch his breath? And Henry's all like, hey, look, we did it together. And Mark's like, you could have killed people. And Henry just looks at Mark point blank like, yeah, with your help. And Mark's like, look, I didn't know you were going to do that. So Henry is definitely deeply disturbed. It's like, I feel sorry for you, Mark. You don't know how to have fun. And Mark is just looking at Henry like he's off his rocker indefinitely. It's like, it's because you're scared all the time, Mark. I used to be just like you. And Henry tells Mark, like, well, I used to be scared too until I found out. And Mark's like, found out what? It's like, yeah, once you realize you can do anything, you're free. You can fly. And Mark, don't be afraid to fly. And Mark just looks at Henry like, yeah, this kid is really going way too far. Like, you are sick. 
So now we're back into the house. Connie and Susan are making cookies or brownies or something. They have the news on the little TV in the kitchen, and it's at Route 233 on the outskirts of Rock Harbor. Earlier today, there was a 10-car accident. So that Mr. Highway that Henry tossed over the side of that overpass created a 10-car pileup. Luckily, nobody was seriously injured. But four people were taken to the hospital for minor cuts and bruises. Gotcha. So now Mark's listening to the report in the hallway, and he decides to go to Wallace and approach him. Like, look, your son is deeply disturbed. But of course, as soon as he, like, gets to the doorway of Wallace's office... Henry is right up on top of Mark, like, oh, you're going to tell my dad, huh? Okay. So Henry is very much the manipulator. He's like, oh, yeah, go tell my dad. Oh, how about this? Instead, won't we tell him together? And in Henry's own words, like, it was Mark, dad. He talked me into it. Like, all sweet and innocent. Like, he turns it around and twists it so that it's Mark that did this. And the fact that he's all messed up because he misses his mom. (laughs) So Mark realizes by telling Wallace he's just, it's not going to work because Henry's just going to turn around and blame it on Mark. Which of course, why why would Wallace believe Mark over his own son? He's like, hey, let's go tell him. He's like, hey dad, Mark has something to tell you. And he's grasping onto Mark's shirt sleeve as Mark wrenches himself free and runs upstairs. Wallace finally turns like, wow, what's wrong with Mark? Henry's like, I don't know. He's been acting pretty weird. I think I'll go check on him. So Mark is sitting in Henry's room where he's sharing the room. Henry comes up and says, hey, I told my dad to check and see if you're alright. Are you okay, Mark? And Mark is like, leave me alone. Henry comes into the room like, leave you alone, this is my room. Connie runs up the stairs laughing and giggling and says, guess what, mom says we can go skating tomorrow. Henry immediately turns on his sister and says, hey, look, Connie, how many times have I told you not to be in my room? And she's like, yeah, but you're not working on anything. So he, like, jumps on his sister and pins her to the wall. And starts yanking on her ears. Like, hey, you didn't answer my question, so I'm going to answer it for you. You're never to come in this room ever. Mark is like, oh, hell no, you are not going to be hurting her like that. She doesn't deserve that. And then Henry and Mark start getting into a tussle fight where they're pulling hair. They each got fistfuls of each other's hair. And Henry is, like, banging Mark's head up against the wall. Connie races out of the room screaming, Mom, they're fighting! They're trying to kill each other! So Henry sees, like, oh, this is something I can use against Mark because he likes my sister. He's attached to her. Like, yeah, it'd be pretty bad if something happened to her, wouldn't it? Why don't you just ask my mom about Richard? So basically he's... Pretty much just confessed to Mark that he killed his own brother and he has no qualms about it whatsoever. That he wouldn't hesitate to take out Connie next. He's like, oh yeah, you'd be sad if something happened to my sister, wouldn't you? Accidents will happen, just ask my mom about Richard. Right then, 
Susan comes up and is like, boys, boys, Henry, what are you doing? Henry, of course, plays a sweet innocent as he says, oh, I'm sorry, Mom, we were playing this really dumb game. Weren't we, Mark? We were playing a stupid, dumb game. And, of course, what's Mark going to do? Like, no, no, he just threatened to kill Connie, and he just revealed that he killed his brother. No, he's like, yeah, we were playing a stupid game. And she buys a hook, line, and sinker, saying, well, all right, just not so rough, okay? I mean, you two look like you're about ready to kill each other. Well, they probably were. So, Mark is at the playground with Connie, and she's pushing kids on a merry-go-round. Ay, ay, ay. Um... The doctor comes back like, oh, Mark, you missed our appointment, but I can sit here with you on this bench while you watch your little cousin play, and I can have your session right now. So Mark uses this opportunity to, he wants to see what she thinks about uh, a kid that does bad things. Like, does that make him evil? Or what makes people evil? And she's like, well, I don't believe in evil. Oh, she says that evil is a word people use when they've given up trying to understand someone. Simple, typical therapist mumbo-jumbo. She explains that there's a reason for everything if we could just find it. Oh, of course a woman is going to interpret what Mark's saying about evil. Like, why, Mark? Do you think you're evil because you killed- you think you killed your mother? So he creates a scenario, which of course is going to paint him in, like, maybe, it's the same thing where you say, what if there's this person and they did things, where it's like you're asking for yourself, about yourself, but you're pretending it's another person. No, he's actually asking about Henry, like, let's say there's this boy and he did terrible things because he liked doing them. Would you say he was evil? And she says, I don't believe in evil. And he looks at her and says, well, maybe you should. How in that, I get that he's 12, but you know how that makes, that's making you look? Like you're asking that question about yourself. Now it's making him look deranged. And they're like, oh, well, his mother died. So clearly he's, wait, no. Seriously, I don't, I really don't think that's how it works. Just because someone loses somebody doesn't mean they're going to turn around and start doing terrible, horrible things to people. So Jack calls to talk to Mark. Henry answers and says, no, Mark's not here. I'm sorry. And Jack's like, well, do you know where he is? And Henry's like, well, no, no, I don't know where he is. As we see Connie and Mark running up the driveway. So Jack's like, oh, is Mark, are you guys having fun? He's like, oh, yeah, we're all having lots of fun. We, Mark really likes it here. You know something? We really like him, too. Was this supposed to be lunch? Because she asked them what they're up to this afternoon. This is either lunch or it's dinner. Because Wallace is there. He must work from home. He's like, well, I'm taking your mother out to dinner. Can you think that you characters can babysit yourselves and not get into too much trouble? They're like 11 or 12 years old. I... They may seem, you know, back... At this age, I was watching myself, too, when I was, like, 12, so. And this is 1993, so, yeah. Odds are you wouldn't get a babysitter for a 12-year-old. So, Henry's like, yeah, Dad, don't worry about it. It's fine. We can take care of ourselves. Connie's like, hey, Dad, can I stay up and watch Monster Theater tonight? And, of course, Henry's like, no, that stuff will warp your brain. It might warp your impressionable brain. So Connie's like, you're not the boss. And Henry's like, yes, I am, Berman. 
And Connie's like, what's that Berman? It's creepy, crawly, gross stuff. So, of course, Henry loves to delight in the misery of others as he mentions, Hey, Mom, Dad, guess what? Mark's been saying he'd like to move into Richard's room because he knows that this is a sore subject for his mother. Mark finally pipes up with, Oh, that's not true. And Henry's like, Yeah, I mean, he seems to really like it in there. Mark's like, I didn't say that at all. Wallace was like, You know, honey, I think that's a really good idea. I mean, you know, the room needs to be lived in. And Susan's like, well, I'm not ready. And he's like, well, it's turning into a museum. She's like, Mark, there's a nice room on the third floor that we can get you if you'd like. Now, basically, Wallace and Susan are fighting. What in the world? So it's been two years since baby Richard died. And Wallace is like, honey, we need to not keep it like a mausoleum. We need to treat it like it's an actual room that can be used. And Susan's not ready to move forward with that yet. She's just, she's not ready to let go. <laughs> Everyone grieves and moves forward in their own time. Hey, Mark, if Mark moved in there, it would be fine. You know, the room needs to be lived in. She's like, I just don't want to. She basically puts her hands up like, just stop talking. She excuses herself and she goes into the Richard's room just to sit and stare at his toys in the room. And uh, it's, it's sad. It's really sad for Susan to be going through this. And Henry's delighting in the fact that uh, he's causing his mom anguish. And he's having his parents argue with each other about a delicate, touchy subject that uh, probably Susan's been avoiding at all costs. Especially when it comes to Richard's room. So we cut to Richard's room. Susan's sitting on the bed. She's looking at his toys. In the doorway, we see Henry there leering with a smirk on his face. And Susan's holding this little mirrored toy. And she looks over and sees Henry there. I, I gotta agree with other people that have reviewed this movie. Macaulay's acting is just really flat and emotionless. Uh, Quinn Culkin's acting is really no different. <laughs> All the Culkins seem to have this dry delivery. He goes in there, he's like, don't cry, Mom. Don't cry, Mom. Don't cry. Like, nothing! No inflection! Nothing! She birthed a pod person? Wallace and Susan are off to their dinner date, and Mark's like, oh, do you guys really gotta go? And they've been planning this for weeks, long before Mark even showed up. Connie runs to the banister and says, hey, Mark, guess what? We're gonna play hide and seek, and I'm gonna go hide. Mark goes to run up the stairs. No, wait, Connie, I got a better idea, because she's hiding first. And... Henry, in all his monotone glory, says, I bet I find her first. Outside the house, you see Wallace and Susan leave, and the house, all the lights go out. So now, Mark is running around a dark house where he doesn't know the layout 100%. How he's checking in rooms that he can't even see in because they're pitch black. goes to open a door to a room and immediately is blinded by a flashing light. Like, hey, you're using a light. That's not fair. 
Henry takes the flashlight and shines it just below his chin and says, Fair? What do you think this is? A game? So, from somewhere up above, Mark hears Connie screams, and he starts running up the stairs, only to hear her laughing half a second later, as Mark or Henry is on top of her and tickling her. And she says, hey, this is fun. Let's do this again. <laughs> and Mark is like, no, Connie, it's bedtime. Henry gets up, goes over to Mark and says, well, you heard her. She wants to play again. And Mark's like, hey, how about this, Connie? I will read you a bedtime story. Henry goes over to Connie and says, oh, she doesn't want a bedtime story, do you, Connie? Connie looks at Henry, walks over to Mark and says, yes, I do, Vermin. I don't know what Camp Town Races is, but apparently that's what Henry is humming. So Mark reads Connie the Mad Lying story, and when he walks out the door of her bedroom, Henry is right there, like, oh, that was such a darling story, Mark. And Henry starts to go into her room. Mark's like, wait, no, what are you doing? Because Mark's blocking the door. Like, you're not getting anywhere near her. Henry's like, oh, well, I just want to tuck in my kid's sister. So he goes over there and says, such a sweet little thing. Do you really think I would hurt her? And Mark's like, yes, I do. Henry's like, well, what are you going to do? Watch her all night? Of course he does. But he falls asleep and wakes up to find her bed empty. So Mark starts running down the stairs only to stop himself because he hears Susan and Wallace talking and how Wallace is telling Susan you need to stop blaming yourself about Richard. So basically you learn she left him alone in the bathtub in less than six inches of water. She left him to answer the phone. They have a cordless phone. You couldn't have brought it into the bathroom with you? Look at me blaming Susan. That is very wrong of me. I apologize. Granted, they're just characters in a movie, but I do not need to be victim-blaming. So, hey, um, Wallace ends up having to go to work. He's like, hey, do you want me to drop Connie off at someone's house, a friend's house? And Mark learns that, no, actually, Connie is with Henry. They went ice skating at Miller's Pond, and Mark is off like a shot. Apparently, Henry and Connie are not the only ones who have the idea to go to the pond to go ice skating. However, there is a section that is cautioned, that is taped off with caution tape. Like, hey, the ice is really thin here. Don't skate here. Mark sees Henry and Connie and he's spinning her around with this look of determination on his face. Granted, there are even people playing hockey on this pond with a bunch of other people that are just normally trying to ice skate. Mark doesn't have skates on. He's just got tennis shoes. Of course, what's going to happen? He's tripping on the ice and he's failing to get to Connie. I'm sorry. There is like also a barricade up to let people know you need to stay off that section of the ice of the pond. He's getting right towards that barrier and he just chucks Connie like and she slides right on into the barrier. Breaks right through that tape. Henry, of course, skates to a halt. You see the ice come up off of his skates. And Connie 
stands up, and as soon as she stands up on that ice, boom, it, like, breaks right underneath her, and she is in the water. And that's when everyone else notices, oh, a girl went through the ice! So Mark is trying to get to Connie, but he can't because everyone else is, like, a mob mentality running to find out what's going on. And, of course, Henry gets to her first as she's kind of bobbing up and down in that little hole of ice water, holding her hand out, trying to get Henry's hand. And he's got his hand just above. He's not intending to grab her. He's just dangling it like a cat with a mouse. Mark makes it to the front of the crowd, and they're, like, holding him back. Like, no, 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 you can't go out there. Connie finally... After crying and yelling just and being in that cold water just succumbs to it and goes underneath. But you see her underneath the ice like she's trying to pound on it. And then now a couple guys with some axes come through and start, you know, heading into the ice to try to make up another hole to get her out of there. And Henry, of course, still laying on his stomach by the hole that Connie originally was at. Is looking at these guys like they are ruining my plan here. My plan was to get rid of my sister. I've done that. Now you're kind of disrupting that plan. They pull Connie out and she, of course, is unconscious. Poor girl. Now we're going to move to the hospital where you see Susan running down the corridor, down the hallway to Wallace. And he's telling her, look, the doctors, they got her out in time. She's recuperating. In the hospital room, you have uh, Wallace is there, Susan's there, Henry's there, Mark is on just in the hallway, just giving the family their privacy. Now that Henry has attempted to take another life, one of the family, Mark figures, well then I gotta tell Susan this. She may not believe me, but I have to let her know what's going on. So Mark says, look, Susan, Aunt Susan... I have to tell you something. When I was at the pond, I couldn't tell. I couldn't see too well. I wasn't that close. But I don't think what happened at the pond between Henry and Connie was an accident. He was spinning her around. He was going way too fast. And he just launched her in to the barricade. And she fell through the ice. He just let go of her hand. The ice was so thin and she just went right through it. Yes, he threw her towards the thin ice. And Susan is like, Mark, I don't understand what you're saying. What are you trying to say? He's like, look, I've told you. I'm telling you. Henry said he hated her and I think that he tried to kill her. And of course, what does Susan do? She slaps Mark across the face like, don't say that about my son. He's my boy. How dare you say these lies? He says, Connie didn't just slip. You don't know what he is. Henry tried to kill Connie and he could do it again. And right away she slaps Mark across the face. And she slaps and says, stop it, stop it, that's a lie. And as she says, that's a lie, she pulls him in for a hug. It's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Usually if someone slaps you, they don't pull you in for an embrace afterwards. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to hit you. Mark is like holding his hand to his cheek like, dang. And she says, Henry is my son. He's my little boy and I love him. Don't you ever come to me with these lies again. 
And he just walks away and leaves Mark there stunned. Like, what in the hell just happened? So Henry was right when he's like, Mark, yeah, you can tell my parents, but they're not going to believe you. You think they believe you over their own flesh and blood? I don't think so. So that's pretty much like, where is Mark going to turn? You know the parents aren't going to believe him. And the therapist makes it sound like that he, she's flipping all of what Mark's saying, like, about what if this guy was doing bad things just because he liked to do them? Does that mean that he's evil? Now that makes him look like he's talking about himself. So now we're back in the hospital room where Susan's watching over Connie. Why Henry's there, I'll never understand. She's like, I thought you went home with your dad. And, he, and Henry's like, well, I mean, I was worried about Connie. So Susan says, you know, she woke up for a little bit, but she's still pretty confused about what happened. Henry's like, well, that's good. It's probably better for her to forget the whole thing. <laughs> like, yes, of course. Susan, of course, wants to hear from Henry. Like, Henry, what happened out on the ice? And he's like, well, I told you, Mom, it was an accident. So Henry is really good at playing the strings here. He's like, yeah, I've always thought of her as a bratty kid sister, but until yesterday, I never realized how much she meant to me. Yeah, right. So back in the house, Mark gets on the phone to his dad and says, look, Dad, you've got to come back. Henry's got everybody fooled. Everyone thinks he's this great kid, but he's truly, really evil. Of course, Jack is probably thinking, like, what? What? Mark goes on to say he killed this dog with this thing that he made that fires steel bolts. Of course, the next thing he says is a bit much for Jack to try to swallow. So he says, yesterday, he tried to kill Connie. And Jack is like, whoa, wait a minute, Mark. Is Wallace there or Susan? And Mark's like, look, I tried to tell them, but they won't believe me. And... His dad says, well, what about Dr. Davenport? And she, he, Mark says, well, she just thinks I'm some screwed up kid. So Jack's only advice to Mark is to go to Dr. Davenport and just tell her what you told me. So Mark does just that. However, someone else beat him to the punch as he starts walking into... Dr. Davenport's house, and we hear, what's been going What's been going on? What's happening between you two? Henry is there having a session with Dr. Davenport. You turn it around to make it look like Mark is the one with the problems, and not Henry. Mark just looks at him like, what are you doing here? And Dr. Davenport, of course, is like, oh, he's just here because he wants to help. He's telling me you two are having problems. So Mark's like, he's the problem. And quickly, Mark realizes that Dr. Davenport has already been fooled. As he's like, you're on his side, aren't you? And she's like, well, I'm on your side, too. And he's like, oh, no, no, you're not. He's got you fooled just like everybody else. So Henry plays innocent, like, oh, I hope that uh, he's okay. I didn't mean to cause problems. And Dr. Davenport's like, no, it's not you, Henry. Mark's just going through some difficult things. And... Henry's like, well, is he going to be okay? And she's like, well, what do you mean? And Henry says, well, I, I don't know if I should say anything. I mean, Mark's my friend and I promised him I wouldn't say anything. So Dr. Davenport gets Henry to open up. He's like, okay, look, sometimes when we're alone, he does these weird things. And to be honest, he really scares me. 
<laughs> so she's like, tell me everything, Henry. So now we go back to the treehouse. Mark is hanging up there. Henry comes up like, hey, you missed an interesting session, Henry tells Mark. And by the way, you better stop telling lies about me because nobody's going to believe you. And Mark's like, well, sooner or later, they're going to find out about you. And Henry's like, who's they? Yeah, who's going to believe you? My mom, my dad? And Mark's like, well, I told your mom. And he's like, yeah, right. Like, she believe you. Why would she believe you? She's my mom, not yours. And Mark's like, yeah, right. You're wrong about that because she is my mom. And Henry's like, huh, your mom? No, your mom is six feet underground. She's maggot food. Mark's like, well, my mom said she'd always be with me, and she chose your mom as a way of coming back. And Mark is like, I guess you wouldn't understand that, but it's true. She's my mother now. So I'm going to play this clip as you hear a word that you probably never heard Macaulay Culkin say in a film as a preteen. And it's the only one in the movie that probably earned it the R rating. Hey, Mark. Don't fuck with me. Yeah, Henry basically warns Mark, don't fuck with me. As in, I'm serious, I will kill you. You've seen what I did to the dog, and you've seen what I tried to do to my sister. I would have no problem taking you out. So, Mark wakes up in the night, notices that Henry's not in his bed, because I think they're still sharing a room. He goes down, sees a light in the kitchen, and sees Henry in there, and the door to the refrigerator is open. So Mark, of course, thinks, okay, what did you do? And he's like, do? Me? Seriously? Oh, give me a break. You really think I'd poison my own family? So he's like, hey, Mark, eat, drink, don't let me stop you. So Mark, of course, goes on a tirade, taking everything out of the fridge and shoving it down the garbage disposal, emptying bottles out of milk, pop, any other liquids. And, of course, this raises the concerns of Susan and Wallace, who are woken up and just see Mark going to town. Food is splattered all over his clothes, his pajamas. And Mark's like, oh my gosh, he's trying to poison you! He's trying to poison you! Now look at, because Henry barely has to do anything to make it look like Mark is not the crazy one. So much stuff down this garbage disposal. It's like a whole pot filled with spaghetti sauce and meatballs and Brussels sprouts. She's trying to shove everything down that garbage disposal. He's going to break that. His clothes, his face is just covered in gunk. Susan, like, finally shuts the garbage disposal off and, like, wraps Mark in a bear hug, like, comes up behind him, like, enough, enough, enough. Wallace is looking at Mark, like, who is this kid? This kid did not act like this when he first came to my house. So Wallace shuts Mark in Richard's room. This is really creepy. Like, that's it. We're going to get Alice Davenport here, and you can tell her everything that is going on. And talk to her. So, I don't think Susan or Wallace have ever been to this shed that their son Henry has called his own. Because he's got some weird stuff. He's got a doll that's hanging by a noose. 
And most importantly, he's got the rubber ducky that was seen in the picture with baby Richard. So in the book, um, Susan has ha been having some thoughts about whether or not... It's thoughts that she's tried to put out of her head, like, could Henry have... No, he's my son, he would never do that. That's just wrong me to think that my son would have any involvement in my baby boy's death. So I'm going to read this here. It took Susan a while to calm down. As the sun went down and she stood to the, by the window in her bedroom, she wondered what had prompted Mark to say what he had. It was such a horrible thought, such an outrageous thought, and yet deep inside it triggered something in her. Something that went back to earlier that afternoon when she'd stood by the piano and looked at the photograph of Richard. The same thought had flickered briefly in her mind before she'd snuffed it out. Six inches of water. And now Mark had relit it. She was sorry that she'd struck him, but everything else she'd done was right. She had to deny it. There was no evidence. Henry was her son, for God's sake. He was a good boy, a sweet boy. And yet, wasn't it strange that she and Mark had both had that thought? Susan suddenly had an overwhelming urge to go back to the hospital. She just wanted to be with Connie. She didn't want her daughter to be alone. Now she's in Connie's hospital room. She knew she had to be there, but she wasn't sure why. Strange thoughts ran just below the surface of her consciousness, like fish in a dark sea. She knew they were there, but she couldn't see them. Or was it that she didn't want to see them? Suddenly the door cracked open, letting a shaft of light in. Susan almost said something, but a voice in her head told her to be quiet and still. The door opened farther. In the light from the hall, Susan saw Henry step into the room. Without turning on the light, he walked quietly toward his sister's bed. What was he doing here, Susan wondered. Why hadn't he turned on the light? Her hands gripped the arms of the chair tightly. She watched Henry walk to the side of the bed and hover silently over his sleeping sister. Then he slowly turned and gazed at the heart monitor. The reflection of the bleeping light was like a line of war paint across his darkened face. Why was he staring at it like that? What strange fascination did it hold for him? Suddenly, Susan felt afraid. Henry? Henry spun around, his surprised expression caught in the light of the lamp Susan had just switched on. For a brief instant, he looked like a deer caught in the headlights of an oncoming car. But then he quickly recovered his composure and smiled his most charming, boyish smile. But the smile disconcerted Susan. So Henry asks if Connie had woken up, and Susan says, well, she was up for a little bit before. She seemed very confused. About what? Henry asked, just a shade too quickly, as if he was worried about something. Susan reluctantly registered her son's reaction. About why she's in the hospital, I don't think she remembers much about what happened. Was that her imagination, or did Henry appear to sag slightly with relief? That's good, he said. It's probably better if she forgets all about it. Susan watched him closely, a feeling of extreme discomfort percolating just below the surface. Henry, what did happen at the quarry? Henry looked puzzled. I told you, Mom, it was an accident. Of course, Susan nodded and forced a slight smile on her face. Henry's face suddenly became sad. I know I've always treated her like a bratty kid sister, but until today, I never realized what she meant to me. 
Susan regarded her son for a moment. She'd seen him act this way before. So sweet, so earnest, even remorseful. Sometimes he truly seemed too good to be true. Now she had to wonder. There was the other night when he'd come into Richard's room. She remembered the glimpse she'd gotten of him in that little mirror. It was just a glimpse of a different boy. Or it was a glimpse of a different boy. The same boy she'd just seen slip into the hospital room, believing he was alone. Was it possible that he was acting? That this was all an act? A slightly sickening sensation threatened to invade her. And she chastised herself for thinking that way. No, it couldn't be. He was her son. And yet... So Susan tells Henry he better get on home. And she says, well, I'm going to stay here. Susan felt the question still nagging her. It simply didn't all add up. Henry, she asked. Yes, Mom, he spun around and faced her. Was there something guilty in his movements? Something overly self-conscious? Or was she just imagining it? Henry gave her an open, innocent look. Susan changed her mind. It couldn't be. No 12-year-old could be that evil and conniving. Never mind, Susan said. I'll see you back at home. So, while Susan is looking at the duck, you know, this is in the movie, Henry surprises her and is like, Mom, what are you doing in here? And she's oh, <laughs> I was just looking around. Like, she knows that she's been caught. So, Mark reads Connie the Madeline story. And when he walks out the door of her bedroom, Henry is right there. Like, oh, that was such a darling story, Mark. And Henry starts to go into her room. Mark's like, wait, no. What are you doing? Because Mark's blocking the door. Like, you're not getting anywhere near her. Henry's like, oh, well, I just want to check in my kid's sister. So he goes over there and says, such a sweet little thing. Do you really think I would hurt her? And Mark's like, yes, I do. Henry's like, well, what are you going to do? Watch her all night? Of course he does, but he falls asleep and wakes up to find her bed empty. So Mark starts running down the stairs only to stop himself because he hears Susan and Wallace talking and how Wallace is telling Susan you need to stop blaming yourself about Richard. So basically you learn she left him alone in the bathtub in less than six inches of water. She left him to answer the phone. They have a cordless phone. You couldn't have brought it into the bathroom with you? Look at me blaming Susan. That is very wrong of me. I apologize. Granted, they're just characters in a movie. But I do not need to be victim blaming. So hey, um, Wallace ends up having to go to work. He's like, hey, do you want me to drop Connie off at someone's house? A friend's house? And Mark learns that, no, actually, Connie is with Henry. They went ice skating at Miller's Pond. And Mark is off like a shot. Apparently, Henry and Connie are not the only ones who had the idea to go to the pond to go ice skating. However, there is a section that is cautioned, that is taped off with caution tape. Like, hey, the ice is really thin here. Don't skate here. Mark sees Henry and Connie, and he's spinning her around with this look of determination on his face. Granted, there are even people playing hockey on this pond with a bunch of other people that are just normally trying to ice skate. Mark doesn't have skates on. He's just got tennis shoes. Of course, what's going to happen? He's tripping 
on the ice and he's failing to get to Connie. I'm sorry, there's like also a barricade up to let people know you need to stay off that section of the ice of the pond. It's getting right towards that barrier and he just chucks Connie like and she slides right on into the barrier. Breaks right through that tape. Henry, of course, skates to a halt. You see the ice come up off of his skates. And Connie stands up. And as soon as she stands up on that ice, boom, it like breaks right underneath her. And she is in the water. And that's when everyone else notices, oh, a girl went through the ice. So Mark is trying to get to Connie, but he can't because everyone else is like a mob mentality running to find out what's going on. And of course, Henry gets to her first as she's kind of bobbing up and down in that little hole of ice water, holding her hand out, trying to get Henry's hand. And he's got his hand just above. He's not intending to grab her. He's just dangling it like a cat with a mouse. Mark makes it to the front of the crowd and they're like holding him back like, no, 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 you can't go out there. Connie finally, after crying and and yelling just and being in that cold water, just succumbs to it and goes underneath. But you see her underneath the ice like she's trying to pound on it. And then now a couple guys with some axes come through and start you know, heading into the ice to try to make up another hole to get her out of there. And Henry, of course, still laying on his stomach by the hole that Connie originally was at, is looking at these guys like, they are ruining my plan here. My plan was to get rid of my sister. I've done that. Now you're kind of disrupting that plan. They pull Connie out and she, of course, is unconscious. Poor girl. Now we're going to move to the hospital where you see Susan running down the corridor down the hallway to Wallace and he's telling her look the doctors they got her out in time she's recuperating in the hospital room you have uh, Wallace is there Susan's there Henry's there Mark is on just in the hallway just giving the family their privacy now that Henry has attempted to take another life one of the family Mark figures, well, then I gotta tell Susan this. She may not believe me, but I have to let her know what's going on. So Mark says, look, Susan, Aunt Susan, I have to tell you something. When I was at the pond, I couldn't tell. I couldn't see too well. I wasn't that close. But I don't think what happened at the pond between Henry and Connie was an accident. He was spinning her around. He was going way too fast, and he just launched her in to the barricade, and she fell through the ice. He just let go of her hand. The ice was so thin, and she just went right through it. Yes, he threw her towards the thin ice, and Susan is like, Mark, I don't understand what you're saying. What are you trying to say? He's like, look, I've told you. I'm telling you. Henry said he hated her, and I think that he tried to kill her. And of course, what does Susan do? She slaps Mark across the face, like, Don't say that about my son. He's my boy. How dare you say these lies? He says, Connie didn't just slip. You don't know what he is. Henry tried to kill Connie, and he could do it again. And right away, she slaps Mark across the face. 
And she slaps him and says, stop it, stop it, that's a lie. And as she says, that's a lie, she pulls him in for a hug. It's like, okay. Okay. Usually if someone slaps you, they don't pull you in for an embrace afterwards. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to hit you. Mark is like holding his hand to his cheek like, dang. And she says, Henry is my son. He's my little boy and I love him. Don't you ever come to me with these lies again. And she just walks away and leaves Mark there stunned. Like, what in the hell just happened? So Henry was right when he's like, Mark, yeah, you can tell my parents, but they're not going to believe you. You think they believe you over their own flesh and blood? I don't think so. So it's pretty much like, where is Mark going to turn? You know the parents aren't going to believe him. And the therapist makes it sound like the, he, she's flipping all of what Mark's saying, like, about what if this guy was doing bad things just because he liked to do them? Does that mean that he's evil? Now that makes him look like he's talking about himself. So now we're by, back in the hospital room where Susan's watching over Connie. Why Henry's there, I'll never understand. She's like, I thought you went home with your dad. And, he, and Henry's like, well, I mean, I was worried about Connie. So Susan says, you know, she woke up for a little bit, but she's still pretty confused about what happened. Henry's like, well, that's good. It's probably better for her to forget the whole thing. <laughs> like, yes, of course. Susan, of course, wants to hear from Henry. Like, Henry, what happened out on the ice? And he's like, well, I told you, Mom, it was an accident. So Henry is really good at playing the strings here. He's like, yeah, I've always thought of her as a bratty kid sister, but until yesterday, I never realized how much she meant to me. Yeah, right. So, back in the house, Mark gets on the phone to his dad and says, look, Dad, you've got to come back. Henry's got everybody fooled. Everyone thinks he's this great kid, but he's truly, really evil. Of course, Jack is probably thinking, like, what? What? Mark goes on to say he killed this dog with this thing that he made that fires steel bolts. Of course, the next thing he says is a bit much for Jack to try to swallow. So he says, yesterday, he tried to kill Connie. And Jack is like, whoa, wait a minute, Mark. Is Wallace there or Susan? And Mark's like, look, I tried to tell them, but they won't believe me. And his dad says, well, what about Dr. Davenport? And she, he, Mark says, well, she just thinks I'm some screwed up kid. So Jack's only advice to Mark is to go to Dr. Davenport and just tell her what you told me. So Mark does just that. However, someone else beat him to the punch as he starts walking into... Dr. Davenport's house, and we hear, what's been going What's been going on? What's happening between you two? Henry is there having a session with Dr. Davenport. You turn it around to make it look like Mark is the one with the problems, and not Henry. Mark just looks at him like, what are you doing here? And Dr. Davenport, of course, is like, oh, he's just here because he wants to help. He's telling me you two are having problems. So Mark's like, he's the problem. And quickly, Mark realizes that Dr. Davenport has already been fooled. As he's like, you're on his side, aren't you? And she's like, well, I'm on your side, too. And he's like, oh, no, no, you're not. He's got you fooled just like everybody else. So Henry plays innocent, like, oh, I hope that uh, he's okay. 
I didn't mean to cause problems. And Dr. Davenport's like, no, it's not you, Henry. Mark's just going through some difficult things. And Henry's like, well, is he going to be okay? And she's like, well, what do you mean? And Henry says, well, I, I don't know if I should say anything. I mean, Mark's my friend. And I promised him I wouldn't say anything. So Dr. Davenport gets Henry to open up. He's like, okay, look, sometimes when we're alone, he does these weird things. And to be honest, he really scares me. <laughs> so she's like, tell me everything, Henry. So now we go back to the treehouse. Mark is hanging up there. Henry comes up like, hey, you missed an interesting session, Henry tells Mark. And by the way, you better stop telling lies about me because nobody's going to believe you. And Mark's like, well, sooner or later, they're going to find out about you. And Henry's like, who's they? Like, yeah, who's going to believe you? My mom, my dad? And Mark's like, well, I told your mom. And he's like, yeah, right. Like, she'd believe you. Why would she believe you? She's my mom, not yours. And Mark's like, yeah, right. You're wrong about that because she is my mom. And Henry's like, huh, your mom, no, your mom is six feet underground. She's maggot food. Mark's like, well, my mom said she'd always be with me and she chose your mom as a way of coming back. And Mark is like, I guess you wouldn't understand that, but it's true. She's my mother now. So I'm going to play this clip as you hear a word that you probably never heard Macaulay Culkin say in a film as a preteen. It's the only one in the movie that probably earned it the R rating. Hey, Mark. Don't fuck with me. Yeah, Henry basically warns Mark, don't fuck with me. As in, I'm serious, I will kill you. You've seen what I did to the dog, and you've seen what I tried to do to my sister. I would have no problem taking you out. So, Mark wakes up in the night, notices that Henry's not in his bed because I think they're still sharing a room. He goes down, sees a light in the kitchen, and sees Henry in there. And the door to the refrigerator is open. So Mark, of course, thinks, okay, what did you do? And he's like, do? Me? Seriously? Oh, give me a break. You really think I'd poison my own family? So he's like, hey, Mark, eat, drink, don't let me stop you. So, Mark, of course, goes on a tirade, taking everything out of the fridge and shoving it down the garbage disposal, emptying bottles out of milk, pop, any other liquids. And, of course, this raises the concerns of Susan and Wallace, who are woken up and just see Mark go into town. Food is splattered all over his clothes, his pajamas. Mark's like, oh my gosh, he's trying to poison you. He's trying to poison you. Now look at, because Henry barely has to do anything to make it look like Mark is not the crazy one. So much stuff down this garbage disposal. It's like a whole pot filled with spaghetti sauce and meatballs and Brussels sprouts. She's trying to shove everything down that garbage disposal. He's going to break that. His clothes, his face is just covered in gunk. Susan, like, finally shuts the garbage disposal off and, like, wraps Mark in a bear hug, like, comes up behind him, like, enough, enough, enough. Wallace is looking at Mark, like, who is this kid? 
this kid did not act like this when he first came to my house. So Wallace shuts Mark in Richard's room. This is really creepy. Like, that's it. We're going to get Alice Davenport here, and you can tell her everything that is going on. And talk to her. So, I don't think Susan or Wallace have ever been to this shed that their son Henry has called his own. Because he's got some weird stuff. He's got a doll that's hanging by a noose. And then most importantly, he's got the rubber ducky that was seen in the picture with baby Richard. So, in the book, um, Susan has ha been having some thoughts about whether or not it's thoughts that she's tried to put out of her head like could Henry have no he's my son he would never do that that's just wrong me to think that my son would have any involvement in my baby boy's death so I'm going to read this here it took Susan a while to calm down as the sun went down and she stood to the, by the window in her bedroom she wondered what had prompted Mark to say what he had it was such a horrible thought, such an outrageous thought, and yet deep inside it triggered something in her. Something that went back to earlier that afternoon when she'd stood by the piano and looked at the photograph of Richard. The same thought had flickered briefly in her mind before she'd snuffed it out. Six inches of water. And now Mark had relit it. She was sorry that she'd struck him, but everything else she'd done was right. She had to deny it. There was no evidence. Henry was her son, for God's sake. He was a good boy, a sweet boy. And yet, wasn't it strange that she and Mark had both had that thought? Susan suddenly had an overwhelming urge to go back to the hospital. She just wanted to be with Connie. She didn't want her daughter to be alone. Now she's in Connie's hospital room. She knew she had to be there, but she wasn't sure why. Strange thoughts ran just below the surface of her consciousness, like fish in a dark sea. She knew they were there, but she couldn't see them. Or was it that she didn't want to see them? Suddenly the door cracked open, letting a shaft of light in. Susan almost said something, but a voice in her head told her to be quiet and still. The door opened farther. In the light from the hall, Susan saw Henry step into the room. Without turning on the light, he walked quietly toward his sister's bed. What was he doing here, Susan wondered. Why hadn't he turned on the light? Her hands gripped the arms of the chair tightly as she watched Henry walk to the side of the bed and hover silently over his sleeping sister. Then he slowly turned and gazed at the heart monitor. The reflection of the bleeping light was like a line of war paint across his darkened face. Why was he staring at it like that? What strange fascination did it hold for him? Suddenly, Susan felt afraid. Henry? Henry spun around, his surprised expression caught in the light of the lamp Susan had just switched on. For a brief instant, he looked like a deer caught in the headlights of an oncoming car. But then he quickly recovered his composure and smiled his most charming, boyish smile. But the smile disconcerted Susan. So Henry asks if Connie had woken up, and Susan says, well, she was up for a little bit before. She seemed very confused. About what? Henry asked, just a shade too quickly, as if he was worried about something. Susan reluctantly registered her son's reaction. About why she's in the hospital, I don't think she remembers much about what happened. 
Was that her imagination, or did Henry appear to sag slightly with relief? That's good, he said. It's probably better if she forgets all about it. Susan watched him closely, a feeling of extreme discomfort percolating just below the surface. Henry, what did happen at the quarry? Henry looked puzzled. I told you, Mom, it was an accident. Of course, Susan nodded and forced a slight smile on her face. Henry's face suddenly became sad. I know I've always treated her like a bratty kid sister, but until today, I never realized what she meant to me. Susan regarded her son for a moment. She'd seen him act this way before. So sweet, so earnest, even remorseful. Sometimes he truly seemed too good to be true. Now she had to wonder. There was the other night when he'd come into Richard's room. She remembered the glimpse she'd gotten of him in that little mirror. It was just a glimpse of a different boy. Or it was a glimpse of a different boy. The same boy she'd just seen slip into the hospital room, believing he was alone. Was it possible that he was acting? That this was all an act? A slightly sickening sensation threatened to invade her. And she chastised herself for thinking that way. No, it couldn't be. He was her son. And yet... So Susan tells Henry he better get on home. And she says, well, I'm going to stay here. Susan felt the question still nagging her. It simply didn't all add up. Henry, she asked. Yes, Mom, he spun around and faced her. Was there something guilty in his movements? Something overly self-conscious? Or was she just imagining it? Henry gave her an open, innocent look. Susan changed her mind. It couldn't be. No 12-year-old could be that evil and conniving. Never mind, Susan said. I'll see you back at home. So, while Susan is looking at the duck, you know, this is in the movie, Henry surprises her and is like, Mom, what are you doing in here? And she's, oh, <laughs> I was just looking around. Like, she knows that she's been caught. Henry just kind of looks at her like, uh-huh, yeah, you were just looking around. So, Susan kind of changes gears here and tries to be the sympathetic mom, like, try to get something, anything out of Henry. Like, Henry, if there was something wrong, you would tell me, wouldn't you? He's like, wrong? What are you talking about? She's like, well, you know, something you felt bad about. And he's like, I don't feel bad about anything. Oh, she says, well, I mean, sometimes when we're kids, we do things that we feel bad about. And he's like, well, I don't feel bad about anything. So she pulls out the yellow rubber duck. She's like, well, look what I found. And he's like, where did you get that? She's like, well, you, like, really? You know where I got this. You know, I couldn't find it after Richard's accident, and I've been looking for it. Yet, all this time, you've had it when you've known that I've been looking for it. And she's like, have you had it all this time? And he kind of mumbles to himself, but you hear it clear as day. It was mine before it was his. <laughs> so, she asks, how did you get it? And he just kind of looks at her. It's like, well... I took it. I'm sorry, Mom. I just wanted something to remember Richard by. And he asks for a back. Like, can I have a back, please? And she just looks at him, like, incredulously, like, no. No, you can't have it back. And he's, like, surprised. Like, but it's mine. And she just looks at him, like, Henry, what's wrong with you? Like, she's seen her son, like, in a whole other light here. As he goes and he just grabs it right... Like, they get into a tug of war and she's just, like, looking at her son like, What is wrong with you? This is... You are not my son. 
is barely fighting him as he's trying to yank it out of her grasp. And he takes it to the well, the rubber duck, and just plops it right in there. Now it's gone. So now we come back to the house. We see Henry staring them in the mirror, forcing himself to cry. And Mark's like, what are you doing? And Henry just says, Mark, did you cry at your mom's funeral? Mark's just like, why? Why are you asking me this? And Henry just wipes away a fake tear. I figure you're expected to cry at your mom's funeral. And I'm thinking, uh, okay. Red flags are going off. Like, definitely. Like, you, Mark's like, you wouldn't dare. And Henry's like, what are you talking about? Oh, wait, no, I forgot. She's not my mom anymore. I mean, she's yours, right, Mark? That's what you told me. She's your mother now. Well, you know what? My mother, your mother, what the hell? I mean, I guess we'll both miss her. So we see a pair of scissors on the dresser. I don't know what they're doing there. But Mark grabs them and figures the only way to save Susan's life is if he ends Henry's. So Henry's like, oh, yeah. That's great, Mark. Why don't you just stab me right in the throat? And you'll have to push pretty hard so that way the blood will go all across the floor. Granted, who walks by the door but Wallace? And he sees Mark with a pair of scissors to Henry's throat, freaks out like, what the hell is wrong with you? You could have seriously hurt Henry. So he takes Mark and puts him in his office, locking the door. Before Mark goes after Henry with the scissors, Mark's like, I could kill you first. And Henry's like, wow, Henry, Mark, you're so violent. You're so disturbed. If you don't be careful, people are going to lock you up. Basically, Henry is taunting Mark to kill him. Like, oh, you gotta push pretty hard, though. Jam it in. The blood will go right across the room. He's even saying, come on, do it, do it. And then, of course, as soon as Wallace walks past the room, he's like, Dad, Dad, help me! Mark's trying to kill me! And Mark is making an uh, empty plea here. It's like, he's the one who wants to hurt people. Henry is the one who wants to hurt people. And, of course, Henry's like, Oh, Mark, I'm sorry you don't want to be friends. Mark is trying to get away. It's like, I gotta find Susan. And, of course, Wallace just grabs Mark around the waist and just chucks him into the room. He sees Susan come back in the van, he, and Mark is banging on the window, trying to get her attention, but Henry gets to her first, and he's like, Mom, Mom, look, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, Henry, I just, I, I can't handle you right now. And he's like, look, Mom, can we please just take a walk like we used to when I was young? So she agrees to take a walk with him. <laughs> Big mistake. Mark's like, I gotta get out of this locked room. So he takes a chair and breaks the window. But as he's trying to go through it, Wallace and Alice Davenport just happens to be there. It's like, bitch, get Ugh, I don't like her. She's like a poor woman's B. Arthur. B. Arthur is a lot better. So luckily, Mark is able to get through the door and out of the house and runs after Susan and Henry. Oh, well, actually able to get his coat on in the process, too. So Susan and Henry are walking, and she wants to know the truth about the night that Richard died. And he's like, well, don't you know? And she's like, well, I would like to hear it from you. And he's like, well, I was downstairs playing. And she's like, no, 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 no more lies. What happened? <laughs> so Susan is on her knees, you know, 
looking up at Henry, asking him, tell me the truth. Did you kill Richard? And Henry just looks at her and says, so what if I did? Just dead-eyed, just monotone, no emotion whatsoever. And she is on the brink of tears. And she's like stammering, trying to find the words. She's like, well, um, uh, he's like, what, mom? What's that? She's like, we'll get you help. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, oh, well, you don't look too good, mom. It looks like you're the one that needs the help. She's like, you have to trust me, Henry. He's like, no, no, I can't. You want to put me away. He's like, you just want to send me away. You want to put me in one of those places. It's like, I'd much rather, I'd rather die. I'd much rather be dead. And he takes off running. Like, this is an act. He's getting her to chase him. And when she goes out on the cliff, she doesn't see him anywhere, thinking he's jumped. And then he comes out from behind her and says, you really, really thought I would jump. Well, Mom, you don't know me that well. He is right on the edge of that cliff as he comes up and runs right at her to knock her to over the edge of that cliff. Yeah, you can definitely see the rope there that's holding her in place. So you see her trying to climb up the edge of the cliff there, and you see Henry holding a rock as he's about ready to hit his mom with it and just finish her off. Now we got Mark, who's come to the rescue and is choking out Henry. Both boys are wrestling towards the edge of the cliff as Susan is trying to climb her way back up. Now Henry's on top and he's got his arm pressed along or across Mark's throat. Like, I'm gonna kill you! Poor Susan is trying to climb up the side of this cliff. It's really weird, this shot here, where we see the boys, like, wrestling in snow, and then all of a sudden they're on a cliff that has no snow. Susan reaches the top of the cliff just as she sees Henry and Mark about to topple over the other side of the cliff. Luckily, she grabs them just as they start to go over, and now she's holding on to each of them with one hand on each boy. Honestly, this does not seem like a hard choice. Your son just tried to kill you. I would drop him in a heartbeat with not even blinking. Mark is the one who's tried to warn you the whole time and you didn't listen. <laughs> She's only got the strength to be able to pull up one of them because each boy probably weighs less than 100 pounds. Anything, they probably each weigh like maybe 75 to 80 pounds. So the whole time Henry's like, Mom, Mom, I love you. I need your other hand. So poor Mark is like sliding that much farther down. And she's, she's like, hang on, hang on, Mark. It's like, what does he have to hang on to other than your hand? Mark is like practically holding on to Susan's thumb. That's about as much of a grip as he's got on her. He keeps looking back and forth between both boys. Like, this is such an agonizing decision, which, I mean, I guess in a way it is, but it's like, he, your son tried to kill you. Seriously. I mean, you drop Mark and you pull your son up, he's just going to try to kill you again. And you're not going to have Mark to help come save you because he'll already be dead. Yeah, she drops Henry, like... <sighs> It was hard for her. I, I get it. That way she pulls Mark up. And they both look over the edge of the cliff and see Henry's body splattered 
all over that rock below. So she and Mark kind of hold on to each other and rock back and forth. And then we see Mark, like at the beginning of the movie, he's home now. Mark's narrating, Henry is gone and the rest of us are safe. But sometimes, late at night, I find myself thinking, if Susan had it to do over again, would she make the same choice? I know... I'll always wonder, but I will never ask. Now I'm going to go to the book because the book has a little bit of a different ending. So I'm going to read the part where Mark escapes out of the room. Just as Mark got to the front door, it swung open. Mark skidded to a stop. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. His father, in a wrinkled raincoat, holding a suitcase in one hand and a briefcase in the other. Dad, he cried, throwing himself at his father. Mark, Jack, could see that something was wrong. But right now, he just wanted his son in his arms. Mark could hear footsteps race down the hall behind him and stop. Jack, Wallace said. Thank God you're here. What's going on? Jack asked. I'm afraid it's pretty bad, Wallace said. Mark's in a very confused state right now, Alice tried to explain. He tried to hurt Henry. Dad, Mark whispered and tugged at his raincoat. His father looked down at him. Is that true? Jack asked, scowling. No way, Dad, Mark said, still clinging to him. There isn't anything wrong with me. There is, Jack. Don't listen to them, Mark said. His father stared at him. No, except for looking a little excited, Jack could see nothing wrong with the boy. Remember what you said before you left? Mark asked. You said you knew I'd be okay because you believed in me. Well, you've got to believe in me now. You've just got to. Jack, you haven't been here, Wallace said. You can't imagine what's going on. You've got to trust me, Dad, Mark whispered. It's not what it seems. They've all been tricked. Jack was quiet for a moment. He knew his son. He knew he wasn't one to make things up. Then he hugged Mark. I believe in you. I always have. Then he looked at Wallace and Alice. There's nothing wrong with my son. I've got to go, Dad, Mark gasped. I've really got to go. Don't let him, Alice said. Jack looked at Alice and then at Mark. He let Mark go. This is the scene between Susan and Henry. Tell me the truth, Henry, she said. Tell me what happened the night Richard died. Don't you know? Henry asked innocently. I'd like to hear it from you, Susan said. I was downstairs playing, he began. Susan knew he was lying. He knew by the tone, or she knew by the tone of the voice he used. He used it every time he lied to her, and he lied to her many times. Don't lie to me, she snapped angrily. I'm sick and tired of your lying. She found herself shaking him by his shoulders. Henry, tell me the truth. Did you kill Richard? Henry pulled away and regarded her coolly. It was a look that was unnatural in a boy of his age. So what if I did? Susan lost her breath. She felt as if someone had just hit her in the stomach. She hardly knew what to say. Well, she began, but the words trailed off. What, Mom? Henry asked, oddly detached. We'll get you help. You don't look too good, Mom, Henry said. I think you're the one who needs help. Susan told herself that his answer was just a defense mechanism, but she had to get through to him. You have to trust me, Henry. But the boy shook his head. I don't think I can. You want to send me away, don't you? No, Susan stammered. I don't know. You want to put me in one of those places, Henry said with unnerving certainty. No, Henry. I'd rather die, he shouted at her. You hear me? I'd rather be dead. He turned and started to run toward the cliffs. Henry! Susan started to run after him. She watched as he disappeared over a crest of wind. Henry! 
Susan reached the cliffs. There was no sign of her son. Assuming the worst, Susan stepped to the edge of the cliff and looked down. She suddenly heard someone behind her. She spun around and saw her son step out from behind a gnarled tree. His expression was controlled and unemotional. Not at all what Susan had expected ever he dashed away from her a few moments ago. You really thought I was going to jump, he asked. Susan didn't know what to say. She didn't understand what he was doing behind her. I guess you don't know me very well, Henry said ominously. He was moving toward her with his arms out. Susan could hardly believe her eyes. This couldn't be happening. He couldn't be doing what she thought he was doing. And then it was too late. He pushed her backward and she tumbled over the cliff. She screamed and twisted around. Somehow she managed to grab onto the edge of the cliff. Her feet were hanging in the air. Henry! She screamed as she clawed at the dirt and grass. Coming, mother! He came to the edge of the cliff and looked at her. Her grip was giving away. Please! She gasped, reaching toward him with one hand. Henry gazed out at her outstretched hand impassively. A moment later, her grip gave way and she fell. She went only a few feet and then hit something hard. Susan looked down and realized she'd landed on a narrow ledge. Below her was a 200-foot drop to the rocks and the waves below. Her heart beat wildly. She was so terrified she could hardly move. She stared up. Henry's face poked out over the ledge, and he stared down at her. There was no expression on his face. He might as well have just been looking at a rock. Henry, Susan pleaded. She lifted her arms up toward him, but he made no move to help her. She couldn't understand it. She was so bewildered and terrified that it was difficult to move. Her tongue felt thick and heavy. It was impossible to get words out, but she managed a few. Please, I'm your mother. Henry smiled slightly and shook his head. Then he disappeared. Henry? Nothing. Hand over hand, grabbing every little fissure and bump, she, Susan slowly pulled herself back over the edge of the cliff. Ten feet away, Mark and Henry wrestled and rolled within inches of the edge of the cliff. Henry managed to get on top, trying to push Mark's head back over the edge. Mark held tight, trying to pull him down. Mark! Henry! Back on solid ground, Susan scrambled toward them. Just as she reached them, they began to topple over the cliff together. Susan dove forward and both boys grabbed for her. Mark grabbed her right arm and Henry grabbed her left. Oof! Their weight pulled Susan down onto her stomach. Suddenly, both boys were hanging in the void, each clinging to one of Susan's arms. Susan looked down into two desperate faces. Below them was nothing but 200 feet of empty space. And then waves crashing onto rocks. Henry clung onto Susan's clenched left hand. Mark held onto the upper part of her coat arm. Susan felt as though their combined weight would pull her arms right out of her shoulder sockets. She pulled with all her might, but it was no use. She couldn't pull them up at the same time. She stared back down at them. Mark's face was edged with desperation and fear. Henry's was frighteningly calm. What could she possibly do? With all the charm and boyish beauty he could muster, Henry looked up at his mother and said, Mom, Mom, I love you. Mom, I need your other hand. Susan felt herself slipping. She could feel that it would only be seconds until they all went over. She looked from one boy to the other with no idea of what to do. I'll try to pull you both, she shouted desperately. Hold on. Again, she tried to pull them both up, but it was impossible. Together, they weighed too much. Meanwhile, Mark was beginning to slip. The stitching on his arm, on the arm of her coat, was starting to unravel under his weight. 
Henry still had a firm grasp on her left hand. Susan looked back and forth from boy to boy. Mark's eyes were growing wider in terror as the stitching on her coat continued to loosen and pull apart. His mouth was open in a silent cry, his breaths short and rapid. Henry's expression was sweet and imploring. How could you, it seemed to ask. I'm your son. Rip. The sleeve of her coat, with Mark still hanging from it, began to give. He was starting to slip down her arm. In another second, he'd be gone. Susan looked from one boy to the other. Mark. Henry. Her son. Her choice. Mark. Henry. Richard. The toy whale. Six inches of water. Susan suddenly jerked her hand out of Henry's and grabbed Mark, stopping his slide. Henry's eyes went wide with surprise. Susan looked away. Henry plummeted downward, his arms and legs spread like a skydiver's. With a sickening smack, he hit the rocks below and bounced off of them like a rag doll. A wave crashed over his body. A moment later, he was gone. In grim, despairing silence, Susan pulled Mark back over the edge of the cliff to safety. They lay on the ground, and he clung to her, reliving the terrible near-death moments over and over. Susan clung to Mark in utter, unspeakable misery misery. She'd done the worst thing a mother could do, and she knew it was right. Alright, here's the epilogue. One year later. The new red Jeep Cherokee pulled into the driveway of the main house. Inside, Mark turned to his father and gave him a questioning glance. Jack put his hand on Mark's shoulder. It's alright, he said. Everything's alright. They got out of the car, and Wallace stepped out of the house and hugged Mark. It's good to see you again. Then he turned to Jack. The brothers shook hands. Read about your latest deal in the paper, Wallace said. He wore a grim expression, but there was pride in his voice. They made it sound better than it really is, Jack replied. Don't be modest, Wallace slapped his brother on the back. It's amazing what you've done in just one year. You've really turned that company around. I had a good year, Jack admitted. I just wish you could have had one, too. Wallace glanced away. Now Connie came running around the side of the house. She was taller and thinner and becoming very pretty. Mark, Mark, she cried joyfully. I saw you coming. I saw you two whole blocks away. Mark caught Connie in his arms and hugged her. How'd you do that? With x-ray vision? No, I saw you from the treehouse, Connie pointed to the trees behind the house. Mark could see the treehouse. It had walls and a roof now. Mark remembered something and started to reach back into the jeep. I brought you something, Connie. A puzzle we can do. Before he could finish, Connie started to drag him away. Come see the treehouse. But Mark hesitated. There was something he had to do first. Where's your mom, Connie? He asked. Connie let go of his hand. She was suddenly somber. She went to see him. Mark nodded and looked past her toward the cemetery. You won't be mad if I go see her, will you? I promise I'll come back and then we'll play. Okay, but hurry, Connie said. Mark started off. His father caught his eye and Mark thought he might say something, but Jack only nodded solemnly. Henry had been buried on a hilltop under a tall tree whose branches reached up toward the sky. Mark found Susan there holding a bunch of yellow flowers in her hand, crouching beside the small gray tombstone. On the flower was a tangled bouquet of dead brown flowers. Mark crouched down beside her. Susan glanced at him with watery eyes. She didn't seem surprised to see him, but then she'd known he was coming to Maine with his father to visit. All she did was nod. They didn't have to talk. Neither She didn't have to talk. Neither did he. They knew that they shared a bond. It had begun before Henry had died, and Henry's death had only strengthened it. Mark reached toward her and took the yellow flowers. 
He put them down and took away the dead ones. Then together he and Susan rose. They stood together for a long time looking down at Henry's grave. No matter what, I still love him, Susan said, wiping a tear out of her eye with her finger. We'll never forget him, Mark said. Never, Susan's voice was barely a whisper. Mark slid his hand into hers and looked up at her. She was his mother now, or as close as he was ever going to get. As if she'd read his mind, she smiled a little. Come on, she said. Let's go home. They turned and started back toward the house. Mark carried the dead brown flowers. Susan carried her memories and grief. Behind them, they left Henry and the tombstone, which read, Henry Evans, 1981 to 1993. Without darkness, there can be no light. And that is how the book ended. So you get kind of a, uh, a little epilogue, whereas in the movie... It ends just as it starts, the little, uh, the little bookend of Mark being back in Arizona. So that was the movie. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I probably, hopefully didn't sound like I rushed through the movie or anything like that or read too long of passages. I just thought it would be nice to have the book as a comparison and also to delve into areas that weren't in the movie or go a little deeper into you know Mark's thoughts or Henry's thoughts but you really didn't get really many of Henry's thoughts but um I I definitely had a had a good time with this with review and I look forward also to doing Casper later this month so have a great October everybody bye bye